My friend. Yes. This is episode 185. Let's get it going. Come on. Come on. What do you got? What do, do you got? We Bring have something to the do table. Do we have to talk about it? The slap? Do we have to talk about it? No. I, do, no. I, I, but do you do realize that we recorded episode 184 yeah. one week ago about right now. Yes. And I texted you, you. Well, you leave this just to give everybody a little yeah. a little look behind the curtain, which is really interesting. Not really. Okay. <laughs> behind the curtain. We record the show. You leave. And then I spend an hour or so getting the show ready yeah. to send to Steve. You kind of go off on your merry way sure, yeah. and get back into the world. I got things to do. Yeah. And you you get yourself a sense of what's going on. Yeah. 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 I got Twitter us. going while yeah, I'm yeah, driving. Yeah. I'm staring at and my all phone. All of a sudden I get a text yeah. from you about. Yeah. The slap. And you were like, is this true? I couldn't believe what I was reading as I was driving down the road. <laughs> what you know. were you reading? Well, that Chris Rock got slapped by Will Smith. <laughs> like, no way. That's not true. But I, I couldn't really dig in. I just saw it on Twitter. I went out to the golf course. Everybody's like, did you talk about the slap on the podcast? And I was like, <laughs> actually, we were recording the podcast, yeah. I think, when the slap happened. I think we were, yes. I, I ask you because of SNL host. I don't know if you saw SNL. No, I have not seen SNL in the last. The latest movie. one, Gerard Carmichael. This comic I'd never heard of. Don't know. Him. He starts the he starts the episode the I same way. I know Harold Carmichael. Yeah. Oh, the receiver. Oh, was he was tight end or receiver? Receiver, but gigantic. Tall. Oh, yeah. oh he, Eagles. <laughs> oh, he was good. Yes. Um, yes. Anyway, he said the same thing. He says, "I, I, it's been a week, but it feels like it's been a month. It's been talked about Too so much. much. You don't want to talk about it." Uh, we can. I don't no, know. No, no, we it's don't been have a to. week. Is there, no. is there any People take? have been asking me, have you have you talked about the slap? <laughs> is there any take that hasn't been said at this point? I don't know. Is there is there more than one take, and that is that Will Smith's an asshole? Yeah. The, What's the other take? Well, the other take would be like Tiffany Haddish, the comic said it's nice that there's, you know, men who still, you know, stand up stand for their, up for their, their wives, love it's their the wives. It's the freaking Academy Awards, A and B. He wasn't even standing up for his wife until he looked up. He was laughing at the joke. The cutaway was him laughing until he saw her face. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I better spring to action here. Yeah. I mean, it was so obvious. Come on. There's a, there's only one take. The, the, the reason that this is not really a very interesting conversation yeah. is because there's not like three sides to it. The interesting conversations and topics are the different nuances and anger. There's no, we're making things up if we have any other opinion other than Will Smith was just being an asshole. You, 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 can't go around putting your hands on people in life. Of you, course. You can't it's do that. Could you imagine if every person at the Academy Awards who ever was insulted yeah. by a comic at the beginning of the show yeah. went up there and said, come, come on. Ever seen the Golden Globes with Ricky Gervais hosting? No, I haven't. Oh, he just skewers everyone. Just brutally skewers everyone. This has everyone. been going on for 100 yeah. years. What a, what it, the, it, it all just, of a sudden now? I mean, but would we're you... We're fighting back? Would you, if somebody made fun of your wife for having cancer... Would that be over the line? Okay. All right. So you're going to push me now on this. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, but I don't think alopecia any, and cancer is not, but, the but same, I don't but. think anybody would make fun of my, my wife for having cancer. Okay. I mean, it just, it, that, that joke felt just, it felt out of line. It just felt across okay. the line to me. There have been a lot of them. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not defending Chris Rock. I don't think the opinion is defending Chris Rock. I'm just saying yeah. the guy got up out of his seat, yeah. walked up on the stage and slapped it. Come on. You couldn't even knock a 58-year-old really? man Come and on. drag shoes down. <laughs> Give him a better slap. All right, we're done. I, I get to go home now. No, no, we're done with it. I thought you said oh, you didn't okay. want to talk about the slap, and now we've talked about it for five minutes. <laughs> the weed store closes in 10 minutes. Let's get this going the here. Come on. Is that where you're headed? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
I got a Google Maps up oh. from your house. As if I Mitch don't Unfiltered is available on all major <laughs> podcast platforms, ladies and gentlemen. Please, please, please rate and review us on Apple. We need some five-star ratings and review. It'll help with guests. It'll help with everything. Also, you can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for $5 a month. You should have seen me And I have access it. to all. I got an email. I was going to read it. I'm not going to read it. You know that Danny O'Neill, who's our guest during yeah, the week, heard of he's him. got his own thing where he's he's doing some newsletters and it costs per month or whatever. Yeah. And now people are emailing me, can we do $7 a month for both? They want like a package. Oh. People are asking me for package <laughs> now deals. Now you got to get in bed with Danny, a business Forget wife. getting in bed. Do we have to do package deals? <laughs> Yeah, it's five freaking bucks. Yeah. Seven for both. And I not only it. is it five dollars, but I've said on every show the last pretty much year. Yeah. If you need a package deal for me and Danny, just write me at Mitch Mitch Unfiltered, and I'll give it to you for nothing. How about that? Yeah, right. That's better than any package deal. <laughs> That's a hell of a it's package. A, and it's lot. It's a lot less trouble. Yes, it is. For me to it give is. the guy a freebie than to do a seven dollar combo pack. Right. What do you want? French fries with that? <laughs> right. Exactly. You should say you should have seen me at Piper softball game selling the, the the Patreon stuff to a. Oh, you were to one of the dads. Oh, who listens and just kind of out of the blue. He's like, so you get a lot of extra content being a, being a, a patron. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, you got Danny O'Neill. The first thing you, you do Slick is you lift your third finger. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's the first thing you do. <laughs> so I'm selling it. I don't know if he signed up, but I'm selling it like crazy. God. I'm running through everything you get. Oh, you're going to love it. Five bucks a month. I repeat, if you need a package deal for Danny and Mitch per month. Yeah. Just write me at Mitch at Mitch and I'll give you the damn thing. Right. Okay. It's okay right. to support both, everybody. All right. How's your pool? <laughs> How's your bracket look? Jesus. Have you had a have you I haven't had a team in it for yeah, like weeks. I, well, <laughs> you 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 hate that I have two brackets, so I can't really talk uh, about it. See, that's just a no. Well, I, I'm I'm in one where I can win money. I can't win money and beat the boys. Understandably, I don't win just prizes. Just put in the same bracket. Fine. Don't change it. You'll be you'll be happy to know that my Don't champion my yeah. champion is Kansas. And if they oh win, I'll get no money because I did so shitty the first few rounds. The top three get paid. I'll be I'll get fifth. I'll pick Kansas right and I'll get no money. Awesome. Well, I'll have you know that at this very moment, do you even know this? You probably don't check. How many people will have beaten the boys? If the season ended today, oh boy. which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, how many of the, whatever, 1,200 participants, entries, do you think beat the boys? Well, Dion was carrying the mail pretty yes, he hard. Was. Yes, he was. I don't know. I'm scared da, to ask. Da, da, da. 50. If the season ended today. I think it's 50. Five. Really? 10% of 50. He's in sixth place. Whoa. And who's his champion? That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> oh, Duke. Kansas. Oh, yeah, Duke. Yeah, Duke. Yeah, that I knew. That's right. <laughs> he was close. So, but here's the good news. Nobody, and I scrolled down a long way, nobody's got North Carolina. Uh, right. So Who if, would have North so, Carolina? So if, yeah. So if North Carolina wins, he stays where he is, and I only have to give up five prizes. There you go, Steve. Earning your keep. If Kansas wins, uh -oh. everybody essentially who's got Kansas beneath him yeah. get 32 points right. and jump over him. So I'm going door to door giving out prizes oh, if Kansas gosh. wins. So who do you think I'm rooting for on Monday night? <laughs> you and me. Never. I'm rooting for me. Are you rooting for like let's say that yes. the boys didn't exist? Wouldn't you wouldn't you be totally rooting for North Carolina? Yeah, I think fun so. story? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have no love for either team, but yeah. an eight seed? Yeah. There's something kind of cool about that. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. I'm loving it. It's great. Yeah. Uh in terms of the the cash prize, yeah. you've got Greg Minahan, 
Okay. My dear friend, Greg Minahan, who I don't even know. Okay, good. As Rocky Balboa would say. <laughs> uh, he is one point up on Jared Holman and Richard Reed. But Greg Minahan has Duke winning the national championship. Oh, it's so sad. And Richard Reed has Kansas winning oh. the national championship. So who do you think Greg Minahan <laughs> is rooting That's for? That's right, yeah. Me. He's yep. rooting for me. So there you go. That's the story with the uh, the NCAA tournament pool that we run here at Mitch Unfiltered, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Everybody who beats us gets a prize. Now, which is a perfect segue. Normally we get a week to kind of relax and get set up between the championship game and the Masters. I, typically the Masters is not the Thursday right after the Monday. Oh, it's not. I don't think so. Well, sometimes it is. Okay. And sometimes it's like nine days or whatever, 10 days. Right. This year it's three days. Wow. So our Mitch Unfiltered Masters pool is now up. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. We've done this every year. It's yeah, very, yeah. very simple. You probably remember it. Yeah, I did it in Arizona. I remember. You go to the website, MitchUnfiltered.com. Doesn't cost anything to play. And all you do is you click on the pool, you enter, and you pick five golfers. Right. In the master, any five guys you want. Yeah. There's no groups. There's no. It could be the five favorites. You can take yeah. the five best players. Yeah. You don't have like some sort of a a budget or something like that. Yeah. No. You pick five players, and it's a very simple pool. To be eligible to win, all five have to make the cut. That's the first thing. Okay. If all five make the cut, yep. then it's the guy or gal that has the five with the lowest cumulative score. Score, not place. Score. Score. Gotcha. So okay. if you've got five people that end up one under, yeah. you're five under. Love it. Did you understand that? I did, yes. You get that math? I don't okay. because there's I've done so many contests. And no, this oh, is easy. Okay, good. This is easy. Pick five guys. If all five make the cut, you're in the finals. And then it goes, the cash goes, I think 500 bucks goes to the person with the five guys that make the cut with the lowest cumulative scores. Nice. When I say lowest, I mean best. Gotcha, yes. Okay. Now, ask me what happens if nobody, and this has happened, nobody has five guys who make the cut. <sighs> what happens if nobody has five guys who I make the cut? I get the 500 bucks. You do? No, That's I a don't. hell of a contest. Then we go to four. Then we go to, okay. And then if... No, there, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> then you have no idea. All right. <laughs> okay. You got it? That's got the it. Mitch Unfiltered Masters. I'm in. I can't wait. Presented by uh, Fireside Home Solutions. 500 bucks to the winner. Very simple. MitchUnfiltered.com. Click on the link. And pick five guys. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, the next order of business in the T section is, I believe we've had a first happen this week in unfiltered history, and I'm not sure how to react. I want you to tell me how to react. Someone enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> no. Okay. No. All right. Um, so I get together with Steve D on the producer, and we're talking about what kind of guests we want to put on the show. Yeah. And I come up with the idea, let's do like a, a no table, a round table, a, a conference call conversation on the NFL draft. Okay. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, the Seahawks have the ninth pick this year, finally. Yeah. They got numbers 40 and 41. So they got three of the top 41 picks yep. are the Seattle Seahawks. Let's go ahead and get a couple of guys on sure. that know the draft a lot better than me, and we'll kind of talk about it. Okay. He said, fine. He gets back to me, says that the first guy that's going to be on, and I'm just going to tell you his name, is Chris Trapasso. Okay. And I don't know. I, I'd never heard of Chris Trapasso. I haven't either. No, you wouldn't have. Uh, who covers the draft for one of the outlets. Chris, Chris Trapasso is going to be on. And then later on, either that day or the next day, I get a follow-up text from Steve Dion. Scratch Chris Tapasso, Trapasso. Okay. 
He wants 10 bucks. Come on. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts. Go ahead. I don't even know where to begin. I know. (laughs) First of all, now maybe because I don't produce the show and maybe because I didn't produce the old radio show for 25 years, I didn't deal with the the guests on that level. Maybe somebody that was a producer might say, oh, Mitch, this happens all the time. You just don't know it. I have never heard no. of a one-off guest. Now, I would never have a guest. Like, all the guests that we have on regularly. New Heisel. I pay them all. Of course. We pay them all. Yeah. King. That's asking a lot New of people. New Heisel, yeah. Fan, Henderson. They all get, we pay them all a monthly fee for being on the show because they're on on a regular basis. That's right. I don't ever remember anybody who you just asked, especially a guy I've never heard of. Right. Okay. And how does he arrive at 10 bucks? <laughs> I'm going back to the $7 deal with Danny and me. Right. Is it an is it a, is it worth the trouble asking for 10 bucks? I mean if you're going to ask for 50 or you can ask for That's 100 right. That's right. yeah. 10 bucks. Yeah. Now Now Steve Dion, I don't know what Steve Dion thought I was going to say. Uh, obviously he said scratch that so he knew I was going to say no. That's not going to Mostly happen. on principle, not because we couldn't It's not because of the 10 bucks. $10, yes. Not because of the 10 bucks. Right. But Really? Do you remember stringers that, that you? Like, yeah, well, they yeah they get paid. Well, but it was like I remember it was like yeah. t- it was like ten dollars. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that was right. like ninety five. Yes, so yes, ten dollars and well, that's their job and that's their you know. Yeah, but I'm just saying like yeah, why ten dollars? Like, I, I don't know why ten dollars, but what about asking for a, yeah. a podcast to pay you to come on to yeah. talk about the draft? And you can almost guarantee ten dollars. You can guarantee that they're never going to come on again. Like you'll never ask him again. You you may pay the ten once, but. Why would you ever have him back, right? It's like short-sighted of him. Yeah, that's that's Who's bizarre. paying the 10 once? Uh, yeah, well, I know. I mean, it's like, I was trying to think of some of the big name guests that I've called and booked. <laughs> just did it for free for what, you know, because like most guests I don't, do. Yeah, most? All of them. I thought yeah, all guests I guess all of them. That's yeah. what I'm asking. Are you saying most? Yeah. Do you remember ever being asked for money? Not for a one-off ever. Ever. No. Hmm. I mean, you and I, or you was your show, but I was running the board and you had a, what, Lee Steinberg in studio? Remember yeah. the agent? A yeah. big, big shot, big time yeah. agent? He didn't want 10 bucks, did he? He just Now, why would you pick, of all the people to pick Lee Steinberg? That was a pretty big name. You had him in studio. Yeah. As opposed to on the phone. Yeah. That was a pretty big deal. He didn't want any money. Uh, Shapiro, OJ's lawyer. Wink wanted money. Don't tell me he didn't want money. (laughs) That's true. Sorry. (laughs) The guy wanted 10 bucks. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know whether to be mad. You can't be mad. Whether to be sad. More that. I mean, 10 is really asking. First of all, how many shows is he really going on a lot of shows? Is this making a difference in his life? Right. And if he's if he's that good where he's so sought after, well, then he should be on ESPN or somewhere big getting either a salary, that, right? Either that or charging $50. <laughs> yeah, right. He's got a bad agent, I guess. So, so what? So what's the verdict? He's, he's, uh, he's out. No, I said he's out. No, I didn't even. Uh, yeah. No. Now, Steve has no. to tell the guy, well... Ten dollars is. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I don't know what he told the guy. I don't know how that yeah, went. That's a little rich for the blo- for our blood here at the Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> Podcast. Too bad you didn't ask for eight fifty because that's we were right. we would have gone eight fifty, but God. not ten. Poor Steve's got to tell him no for ten bucks. How about if Steve writes back? Would you take five? That's right. <laughs> keep negotiating with him. God. Oh, ten dollars. Woof. He wanted ten dollars. He do Mitch Unfiltered. Part of me now wants to know this guy must be good. He must know things that we don't. He must be on a Zoom call with every GM during the draft. I don't know. Wow. Don't know. Who, but who does he work for? Is he just like, who does he work for? Well, that's the funny part. Okay. I don't even want to go through this. That's, that, that may be the, the, the kicker is the funny part, which is he works for CBSSports.com, I believe. Okay. 
And the guy that we replaced him with works for CBS Sports. <laughs> and he didn't ask for anybody. 350, this guy, right? God. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a little short sighted, the old $10 request. I don't know. Is it? Maybe that's the way he supplements his income. But how many people really, how many stations call him and then say, I'll give you 10 bucks? Now, I, now if, if, if you had him on regularly once a week, right. he would make a lot more than, t- you'd give him a lot more than $10 a week. You definitely want to pay him. I wouldn't want anybody on regularly. Of course, that's different. But maybe it's like accountants during tax season, like right now. I don't know. Where you have to strike. I mean, if he's an NFL draft guy. Is it possible he was in line at McDonald's, like in the drive through yeah. when Steve's text came in and he yeah. was like, how much is this going to cost to have you go? $10.23. <laughs> this is going to cost $10. Just to see what we'd say. See if we could pay for his McDonald's. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I have no idea. Oh, uh, that's funny. Okay. All right. Well, sorry, right, buddy. That's it. All right. He's not going to be on. But you're going to like the guys that are on. So I'm, I'm ready. All right. So we got the slap. We got that. We got that. We got that. All right. NFL draft. Yes. So guests, uh, NFL draft, no table. I think you're going to really like it. The guy who came on. I can't imagine this guy's going to be better. <laughs> okay, so, good. Danny Kelly of The Ringer didn't ask for any money. Oh, I know. Dad, jo- I heard that name. Yeah. yeah Josh yeah. Josh Edwards of CBSSports.com didn't ask for any money. They are going to be part of the NFL Draft Roundtable. Great. Christian Capel of The Athletic. He's been around sure. for a long time. Going to talk about UW spring practice. We've got a three-headed quarterback competition oh. going on over there at Montlake. Interesting. Are you aware? Kind of. I know they had a well, the spring game. Okay, well, you know that Dylan Moore started last year. Correct. And then everybody yelled for Heward. Right. Heward came in, stunk the joint up. He did, yes. And then a new coach came in. Right. And he brought in a transfer. Yes. uh, Like a fifth year, one year and out transfer, hired gun transfer named Michael Penix. Yep. Who was at Indiana, who the coach was his offensive coordinator a few years ago. Yeah. Before he took the other job. He brought him in. So we've got... Penix, who's here on transfer for his fifth year. Right. We've got Heward, and we've got Dylan Moore yeah. still here. Three three guys that think they're the starting quarterback. And they were this close to all being on the bench if the Fresno State kid. Well, all of them would. <laughs> right? If he comes in, they're all well, on the bench. Well, Penix wouldn't have come. Yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. That happened after. Gotcha. The rumor is that it's so close that they're not going to announce a starter. Oh, uh, this routine. And they're just going to have all three go out there, and he's going to have to pull two guys <laughs> off the for the first series. Do we, so he's probably going to tell us if it is, in fact, close. You said it's a three. If it's a three-horse race. I'm a three-horse race. It's sort of making me nervous because I saw both those quarterbacks the previous year, and I wasn't that impressed. Well, the cynic in me, the skeptic in me says, Michael Penix, a fifth-year transfer, could have gone to a bunch of different places. Yeah. Why is he going to Washington if he's not going to be the starter in his final year? Correct. The other guys have several years left. Yes. So I think it's going to be Michael Penix. Okay. But I think it would be funny... If the new coach said in the first series, first one out to the huddle gets it. <laughs> That's it. Huh? <laughs> All right. Uh, and then the third uh, guest is a guest that you're familiar with more than I am. Sean Patrick Small. Oh, sure. Yes. Hope I have that name right. I think he I is do. not small, is he? He is 6'4". Yes. He is a young actor from Northern California. Do you know his story? It's kind of. He's a he's a he's like twenty uh, I don't know twenty ish twenty five ish twenty six ish twenty seven ish somewhere there. Yeah, twenty seven. Yeah. He uh, he he comes from Northern California, Los Altos, California. Okay. He played basketball growing up. Okay. When he was in high school, he wore the number thirty three. Oh. Because 
He, he watched YouTube videos of Larry Bird when Larry Bird was in Boston, and he thought, yeah, my game is kind of like his game. I'll wear number 33 for him okay. because he was a Golden State Warrior fan being in Northern California. Sure. But they stunk in those days okay. before Steph Curry. So he wore 33 as kind of an ode to Larry Bird. Gotcha. And just a few years later, he happens to be the actor playing Larry Bird in the HBO miniseries or whatever you call it, the series. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I think he had even thought of making a, his own series about magic. Oh, he is making. He, is, he's, he, writ, he wrote it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But now he's based playing on, Based on the Seth Davis 1979 book, this, uh, the book about the 79 championship game. Crazy. Right. It's a crazy story. And he even tweeted out a picture. You remember the famous Indiana State Sports Illustrated cover of Larry Bird where he's, he's shushing, he's got his finger up. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like yeah. the best kept secret in yeah, all of college. Yeah. Well, he tweeted out that cover, but then he did it. He recreated his own picture in full ah. costume and full. It's pretty damn good. He looks just like him. It's crazy. In the show, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty darn good. Now, yeah. you've watched the show. I've not watched the show. <clears throat> it's my favorite show out right now. Really? It's and, that good? And HBO does that thing that you forget. They're on network. They're not Netflix. So they it's once a week, like shows used to be when we watched them. And John C. Riley play. It's got to be good. Jerry Buss. And it's it's. Well, I could talk about this forever, but really? I, John C. Riley said before he got the text from Adam McKay about this show, he had nothing. He was working on no projects, and he said to himself, I've done 80 films, and I have nothing going on right now. He was like bumming out in his kitchen, just like, how could I have nothing? I have no project. No one cares about me. And then McKay sends him a text. Hey, I think I might so have, how many have been? How many shows have been released so far? It's four or five as we record this. Uh, I don't you, know you're telling five. me to go watch it. I'm just surprised you're watching anything else. Well, I'm not watching anything. That's the problem. You guys love The View and that cockamamie nonsense. I watch. I don't watch. I don't the know. View. You guys. Uh, My wife watches The View. It's so. I mean, it, you. It's Pat Riley. It's Chick Hurd. It's Storman Norman Nixon. It's like, you're like 13 when this happened. You, this is right in your wheelhouse. You would love it. And also the way they film it, it's grainy. It looks kind of washed out a yeah. little bit, like 80s, yeah. 70s, 80s. Okay. okay. It looks I'm like in. film. I'm in. It's Jerry. But it's Genie Bus. It's awesome. Tonight, I'm going to watch a couple. Of, are they hours each? They're hours, yeah. Okay. But it goes, to me, it goes, plus he's my favorite player, which helps. But it's like you know, young Pat Riley, young, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, McKinney. Um, uh, the young uh, Jerry Tarkanian's in it. Really? Yeah, they, I don't want to give it away. They tried to hire Jerry Tarkanian to coach the freaking Lakers. He's dead. Oh, 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 I thought you said they tried to hire him to be in the movie. <laughs> they wanted him in 1980 to coach the Lakers. I had no idea. It's crazy. You got to watch. Paul it. Westhead was the coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Westhead's in it. Yeah, there's there's three Jerry's, and I don't right. know. It's awesome. I'm not going to think it's hokey because sports movies don't do it for me. Well, for it's, the most part, it's kind of aware of itself because they break through the fourth wall yeah. often. Yeah, which kind of lets you know that you know it's it's not cheesy. It's a little cheesy. It's it's hard to explain. Corny. It's, it's not corny like those those do, those music documentaries like The Dirt or the Elton John or the the uh, Queen singer, can't remember. Those, those all seemed, Freddie Mercury, those all seemed a little corny to me, a little cheap. Like, you can't fit their life story in 90 minutes or two hours. But this is pretty in-depth, and it's aware of itself okay. a little bit. So I, Okay, I'm I, in. I think you'll dig it, but I've given you okay. plenty of recommendations you can yeah, hate, yeah, so yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be surprised I'm gonna if you hate it. it. I'm going to watch it. All right, so NFL uh, draft no table, not starring uh, Chris Trapasso. Um, <laughs> yes. Christian Capel of The Athletic on the UW spring practice and all the big storylines around the Washington football program. And Sean Patrick Small, the actor who plays Larry Bird in the uh, HBO series about the Showtime years of the Lakers. 
But before we begin, a few words about our partners. Episode 185 doesn't happen without them. Daniel's Broiler, the number one place to celebrate special occasions in the Northwest. Don't forget, Sunday, April 17th, Easter Sunday, all Daniel's will open early. Make your reservations now because the Schwartz family does special occasions right. Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition, March Madness Pool, as of the moment, only five. Five people better than producer Steve, but we're in trouble if Kansas wins the national championship. Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage. Seven minutes is all you'll need. On the phone with Jordan or a member of his team, you could be saving hundreds of dollars by doing a refinance on your home, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, Kraken fans, I keep reminding you, don't forget, the bar area at the Belltown Zeke's location near the new arena, post-game specials, don't miss it. We love Zeke's Pizza, expanding throughout the state of Washington and homegrown in the Northwest. Episode 185 begins right now. Unfiltered. All the Seahawks fans, including myself, that are saying I would never want Deshaun Watson to be my quarterback. Fine, I get it. How many of us have cheered for Frank Clark? Right, who was actually charged. Was yeah. actually charged. Not 22 times, but a grand jury did indict Frank Clark. Unfiltered. What do you think DK Metcalf's reaction was when he picked up his phone Woo-hoo. and somebody told him... Yeah. That Tyree Kill just got $120 million guaranteed over four years from the Miami Dolphins. What do you think DK Metcalf's day was like? That loving day? it. Absolutely loving it. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's at the Lamborghini dealership picking oh out his new God. car. Oh, my God. Mitch is unfiltered. So episode 185 is now officially underway. It was Bedlam in the streets of Chapel Hill Saturday night. Oh, no? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. You're like, yeah. Well, but it was like 10 people and maybe more were hurt after the game. Four were injured badly enough to did require you watch the game? hospitalization every second. I mean, it's Duke, North Carolina. Now, we like, got to be careful because, uh, uh, because most people are going to be listening to this after the national championship game. So... The the two semifinal games will yeah. be a distant memory when some people are... But okay. that was... That was... It's a classic. That was... And, and so rarely does it ever live. You know, had North Carolina and Duke yeah. playing for the first time ever. How is that possible? How is that possible? In the NCAA yeah. tournament, it happens to be in the Final Four. And so you're saying it's Coach K's final game. Crazy. It's There's no way it's going to live up to the bill. There's no way that yeah. that game can live up to the hype. It's Hubert Davis's first year, right? Former guard in it North can't, Carolina. Yeah. It can't yeah. live up to And yet. Yeah, right. Ben Carroll's making plays out there like he's supposed to. It was incredible. Yeah. It was like a heavyweight yep. match. It was like two heavyweights in the middle of the ring throwing haymakers at each other. Exactly. This guy, Caleb Love, it's so, I mean, you started talking about it before. It. I don't think people realize it because a lot of people, I don't know whether you're included in this, they come to college basketball for the tournament and they don't ever come during the regular season. I, I don't know how many the people in our audience oh, actually follow the, the game in the regular. North Carolina, can I just tell you? Yeah. There was a point in the middle of the year where 
I would have bet they weren't going to even make the tournament. Huh. There was a point in the middle of the year they lost by in back-to-back games. Okay. By 22 to Wake Forest and Ooh. by 30 to Miami in back-to-back games. Yeesh. That's the team that's playing for the national championship. And it's funny because I watch them. I'm thinking, well, this is perfectly our architect of this team. is They did a masterful job. I mean, look at these two big guys. Bocat and Nemanic. I'm like, oh, I mean, they got the two bigs. They got the guard. I'm thinking this this team was can't lose. You <laughs> can't lose. It's perfect. They lost by 29 <laughs> to Kentucky, so 28 to Miami, oh 22 to Wake Forest, 17 to Tennessee. And I and I don't have any way of telling you this for sure, but I can't believe there's ever been a national champion that lost by 22 and 28 in back to back games during the regular season. Interesting. Yeah. That's they crazy. were they were a nothing. <sighs> this guy Caleb Love, I'm sure he was good during the regular. This guy is like all, all every time they need a basket, every time they need a basket down the stretch. Yeah, I know. He's got to be the MVP of the tournament. And then there's the whole Coach K thing. Here's something that you may or may not have known. Maybe you heard this, maybe you didn't. You remember that three, four weeks ago, Duke was playing its final regular season home game, which meant it was Coach K's final home game of his of his career yeah, at Cameron yeah do you remember who they played that night I assume North Carolina they did yeah they had a big ceremony afterward yeah it was the final game at, at the legendary Cameron Indoor Stadium sure. for Coach K do you remember who won the game I think Duke lost they got run that's right yeah in fact the Duke assistant coach one of the refuses refused to shake the hands yeah. of the North Carolina guy walking by that was okay. that was the weekend of the state tournament because I watched that game in Spokane there you go. and I was like I'm not there taking Duke they look awful okay so there you go yeah going into that game coach K Mike Shashevsky had coached Duke in 98 games against North Carolina wow and his record going into that game was 50 and 48 against Dean Smith and sure. Roy Williams, That's right? right? Oh, yeah. He was 50 and 48. He lost that game at home to go 50 and 49. And then he lost the game in the national semifinals. So Unreal. he ends he ends his career after all that. 50-50. Unreal. Against North Carolina. That is crazy. It's interesting because my wife was watching and she's like, ah, oh, Duke wins. They're always good. You know, and I was trying to tell her, eh, North Carolina's had some decent years in the past too. You kind of forget, right? I mean, they're an eight seed this year, but no, they're, uh, yeah, they're has North Carolina great. had any good years. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I know. It's like, Plenty you just kind of forget about it because it hasn't yeah. been fresh in your mind. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. 50 and 50 after all that, you go 500. What a series. And so he goes out, he goes out as the greatest of all time, but he, he goes out on two losses tough yeah. to, those are going to be tough to get over one his final home game they come in and they run them yeah and then in the national championship semifinal those uh. are the last two games he coaches against north carolina yeah. against a first year coach it wasn't <laughs> right. even roy williams or dean smith <laughs> right, right. it's hubert davis yeah a guy who probably lit, lit him up in the right because hubert uh. played against him so yeah uh. did, did coach k's wife look like she was at a funeral Walking out of that stadium, did you watch the end of it when they walked out together? I, I but yeah, I've seen that that scene before. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like okay, he had a nice career. Do we have to look so sullen? I mean, she looked like like a relative just passed away. And then you have Kansas, who nobody talking about. Yeah, 
Right, and number one, by the way. <laughs> the only one seed that nobody talked about. Everybody talked about Gonzaga. Oh, one sure. seed. Oh, they're everybody, good. Arizona, oh, everybody in the world. They're good. Up. Baylor was the defending oh, national course, champion. Yeah. You betcha. So nobody, Kansas, yeah. nobody said anything. Yeah. They're in the national All they champion. do is win. They just do. keep winning and beating people badly. And yeah. 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 Awesome. Go. It's actually an incredible week, before we get to the guests, an incredible week in the sports calendar. You've got the NCAA Final Four's national championship game on a Monday. Yep. You've got... You don't care much about it. Augusta National, the Masters on a Thursday. Well, for golf, for golf fans, the pinnacle day of the year. What the best day of the year is probably the Sunday. So Thursday, Friday is the best four days for any golf fan okay. in the United States to watch is the Masters. So that's happening the same week as the Final Four, and then toss in there Major League Baseball opening day. All yeah. happening in one week's time on the calendar. Pretty so incredible. What's the opening day for the Mariners? They're on the road to open uh, up, right? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. See, setting you up. 1.10 p.m. Pacific time on a Thursday afternoon. Oh, perfect. In Minneapolis, Minnesota. going to be cold, I think. Okay. I don't think that's an indoor stadium. That Target, whatever yeah. they call that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Target Field. Uh, opening day, you have last year's Cy Young Award winner Robbie Ray free agent acquisition Robbie Ray on the still can't on believe the, the Mariners have on him on the hill like, for the Mariners they really have the Cy Young winner from last year okay fine go ahead and in the outfield oh yeah just say it now oh my gosh I'm not sure if you saw the box score from the day that we're recording today I saw the home run another three for four day <sighs> another homer another double another single he is now hitting 419 this spring <laughs> And he just turned 21 years old. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez will be on the opening day roster, even though they haven't announced it. Yeah. He will be in the opening day starting lineup. And he's the most exciting thing to happen to the Mariners right. since probably, I think it's more exciting than Alex. Now, people may not agree with me on that. Alex was a top-notch draft choice. Yeah. And he, Number one but, overall, right? Yeah, I. I think this is – I remember that. I don't remember the junior thing because I wasn't here for the yeah. junior thing. I don't remember how excited everybody was. I'm sure I'm sure the junior thing makes everything small in comparison. Yes. But I think this is the second biggest thing. Hmm. I think this is bigger than A-Rod. I think the difference was A-Rod was 18. I mean, he was a young guy. Like, was he 18 he when, was, he, when he was in the big leagues? 18 or 19. I remember he, dra Close. he got drafted out of high school. He didn't go to college. Right. And I think he was on the 95 roster. He – he was. He was on right. deck when he that's, was on deck right. when, yeah. when uh, Edgar, Edgar hit the double. So, yeah. And I think he got drafted in 90. Anyway, he was really young. I mean, yeah, Julio just looks ready to play. A-Rod, you didn't know. You hadn't seen him really do anything. So, yeah, this might be bigger because he just looks like he's a major leaguer. This guy. Yeah, he's incredible. I know. It's so exciting. It, but but here's the best thing. And, and, and you don't want to get too excited. Okay. You can't get too excited because the guy's 21 years old. He might struggle like Jared Kelnick sure. struggled last year. And so you want to kind of temper your enthusiasm, especially as a beaten down Mariners fan. But here's the best thing. Okay. The charisma. Have you heard the guy talk? Have you heard the guy interviewed? Have yeah. you watched him on social media? I haven't. No. Oh, oh really? D just, just delightful. Superstar written all over. <laughs> nice. He's a ham. <laughs> yeah. He loves the limelight. He loves the cameras. Oh, love he's got a huge smile on yeah, his yeah. face. I mean, he's just... Everything about this guy is just too perfect. It's too perfect. I think his name is too perfect. Julio Rodriguez. It sounds like an all-star, doesn't it? It's just, yeah. Hall of Famer. 
It's going to be awesome. Now, you're, you're saying there's no scenario where he's not on the big club. Like, forget it. It's impossible now. I mean, remember the whole thing with Kelly? They want to control all that? Well, 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 well. When, I think when they started spring training, yeah. the plan was that he would go back down to the minor leagues. Okay. And he would work a little bit, and then a couple months they'd bring him up. Okay. But he's just not allowing them to do that. You, <laughs> right. You got you to understand, and I know that spring training numbers don't matter. I've heard yeah, this yeah, a million yeah. times. I happen to think they matter more for certain guys than they do for others. Yeah. Okay, just to give you an, a comparison. Two weeks ago, the Seattle Mariners made this huge trade that everybody was excited about. And I am too, kind of, sort of. They got these two guys from Cincinnati, Winker and Suarez. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah, sure. Uh, Winker's hitting 038. 038, Suarez 125. Okay. This kid's gone out while those guys are hitting 038 and 125. By the way, Winker is an all-star. Yeah. Hitting 038. This guy's gone out and hit 419 and has slugged 839. Now, and he's your number one prospect. He's he's won the job. Yeah, for sure. He's won the job. Yep. So he'll be out there in the outfield on opening day. And I'm I love opening day baseball. I love how opening day well I love I, opening day baseball. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I guess I'll have to get the TVs going because I've got one o'clock the Mariners. Yeah. And that's right in the middle of opening round of the I I hope nobody wants to talk to me. I, I need a catheter. Can somebody put a catheter in? I don't even want to go to the bathroom at 1 o'clock. I remember my senior year in high school, I'm in the yeah. kingdom for opening day, and that's yeah. the Chris Weber. I wanted the timeout game. It was oh, going yeah. on at the same time as oh, – it was yeah. like the same day, Mariners opening day and the timeout game. It is a great time of year. Love it. One day I'll be into the Masters, but you're telling me I got to this beat the boys contest. I'm going to have five peop- five golfers. I'm in. I'm going to watch. Well, Thursday you'll be into it because all five golfers will still be alive on Thursday. <laughs> that we know. But Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> your five guys will Okay, fair enough. There you go. So, Mariners opening day, Masters Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, National Championship on Monday. Love it. Go Mariners. All right, three, uh, three interviews, and then we'll do the other stuff segment. Hey, now, Zeke's president and March Madness bracket expert, Dan Black. Rejoins us here on Mitch Unfiltered. You know, you saved us last year, or you saved yourself. We didn't have to give away too many prizes because of your bracket last year. Yeah, no, I kind of bailed us out last year. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Dan, how are you? How are are the Zeke's Pizza locations as we continue our return to kind of closer to normal? Uh, You know, it's good. It is great for the world to feel less covid and it is great at Zeke's to have people in our bars being festive, in our dining rooms being festive, and... uh, you know, that's that's the overwhelming feeling right now is just coming out of COVID. It's been great for our catering business to have people coming back to the work and going to the office. Catering's a big business for us, and we do a lot of corporate delivery downtown to Amazon and Facebook and stuff like that. So that's that's been fun, too. How about the return to normal? Does it hurt the delivery layer of your business? Yeah, it changes it a little bit. You know, there's less residential takeout and delivery, but with bar business coming back, dine-in coming back, and then, like I say, the big thing is if catering comes back, that more than offsets all of that stuff. So it, yeah. it's it, overall, it's good. It's a Levy family tradition, the tournament family pool at a Zeke's location. We picked up Max in the middle of finals at the UW. He was thrilled about that, and the four of us had pizza, salads, and brackets. What do you guys have going in terms of tournament specials, Dan? Yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff going for March Madness this year. It's great. My favorite thing is we've got dollar slices going at all our bars if you're in there drinking. Nice. We got good pint specials going on Laterlay and Hop Tropic. We got Tall Boys of Zeke and Destroy for uh, cheap. And so I've been posting up at the bars, watching the games and eating <laughs> dollar slices. 
What am I hearing about the Kraken post-game specials at my favorite Belltown bar location? Yeah, that's actually where we started the dollar slice thing. So uh, after every Kraken home game, now we keep the bar open late and have good drink specials going on. And like I say, the main thing is we got dollar slices going if you're sitting at the bar drinking. So that's it's super fun. Beautiful. Good times at Zeke's Pizza, who has been just an amazing supporter of me through my radio days and now since the beginning with a podcast as it's grown, Mitch Unfiltered. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. There was the Seahawks no table because we don't have a round table. And then there was the Mariners no table. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I give to you, I proudly present Danny Kelly, draft analyst for the ringer. Hi, Danny. Hi, how's it going? Very well. And Josh Edwards, the pride of Ohio University, (laughs) NFL draft writer for CBSSports.com. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Very well. This is the first ever NFL draft, no table. The question is, (laughs) will it be the last ever NFL draft, no table? Boys, thank you for being with us. Danny, the Seahawks are finally going to have some higher round draft picks again if they don't start their infamous trading back routine where they start at nine and then they make their first selection at 74 (laughs) and they've added 446 picks. Um it seems like they're, what, they're at 9, 40, and mm-hmm. 41. Do you think that they will subtly approach the draft a little differently now that they've made the big trade than maybe they would have if Russell Wilson were still the quarterback of the Seahawks? And you mean by that, like, trading back? Like, are they going to continue no, kind of doing no, like, their just, brand? I'm or just or saying the way they look at the prospects, the way they look at the board, the way they look at their team, maybe not mm. as good in 22 maybe better in 23, you know, just the way they look at the the general state of the organization. Yeah, I think the goal here is going to be in years past, probably with Russell Wilson, you know, under under center and, and commanding a huge salary. They probably were looking for guys to like fill holes. And I think with this draft, it's just going to be, let's pick a really good player and have him come in and be part of our team for, you know, the next five years or whatever. And plus, and then I think that they're going to build that a little bit more holistically than, you know, in the past, like they've had, I feel like they've had more reactive picks. Like they, they pick guys that they need to fill holes with, you know what I mean? And so this year, last year, that was Dwayne Eskridge who they needed another receiver. They needed a guy. I think that they thought would give them more layups in the passing game, things like that. And they went and got that guy, even though I thought that was a, a reach. And so maybe this year they'll just be like, look, we need blue chip players. We need a blue chip player at nine, 40, 41, continue to build this roster out. And I think that's kind of hopefully the way that they look at it. Josh, I'm giggling and I'm going to tell you why. Because Danny just said they filled some holes and no coach ever, no NFL coach ever gets in front of a microphone and says, we draft for need. We always take the best player available, <laughs> right, Josh? That's all the coach of the 32 coaches ever do. Not not the case, correct? Yeah, he's absolutely correct. I mean, that is the narrative that we're continually sold every single year. But 
the reality is when you look at what Seattle has picked over the years with LJ Collier, uh, Jordan Brooks, like those guys have traditionally been outliers in terms of draft rankings. So that right there suggests that, you know, they're drafting based on need rather than maybe the best player available in that position. So I think you can afford to do that when you have a player like Russell Wilson under center. Uh, the issue is that he's no longer there. So this is the first reset that we've had in quite some time for Seattle. How will they approach the draft? I think that's kind of a learning experience for all of us, but I think the sound strategy moving forward would be to take the best player available. And I, I, you know, Danny may feel differently, but I, I don't think that includes a quarterback this year. Josh, uh, if if John Schneider were listening, and maybe he will be, maybe he won't be, that word outlier is going to piss him off. <laughs> He's going to say, don't listen to these guys, Mitch. These are not outliers. Don't ask these guys. Ask the other NFL teams. When we took Jordan Brooks, every other NFL team wanted him. If we didn't take him right there, he was going to be the next pick in the draft. They're not outliers, to which you respond, Josh. I think they are outliers. I mean, <laughs> you know, like uh, Rashad Penny. I mean, you know, same thing. Like maybe they're viewed a little higher in the in the uh, league circles, but based on the way things have played out, I think it would be hard to argue that they were not outliers. Again, I think it's going to be very interesting for Seattle this offseason. Listen, um, everybody, Danny, and their brother and their sister has been banging on this crop of quarterbacks since the beginning. Do you believe there's any chance, any chance, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll view either Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis as their quarterback of the future? I think there's a good chance that they like uh, Willis, I, I, in particular, Willis seems like a guy that the Seahawks would fall in love with because he's got a big arm. He's very, very athletic. He can be utilized in the run game in the same way that Russell Wilson was utilized in the run game early in his career, kind of like basing the foundation of their offense on the read option with Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson. Like that was a huge part of their game. They led the NFL in rushing multiple times in that stretch. That's like what Russ, that's what Pete wants, obviously, because you get that, that balance. The quarterback is turning into like a point guard type guy. You know, you're not asking him to shoulder the load for everybody else. You're not asking him to be the superstar that, you know, I think that Russell Wilson views himself as. And so I think philosophically, I think Willis would match that much more than Pickett in my mind. But I think there is a massive, massive question here of whether that's worth a top 10 pick because Willis is not, he's not a very refined passer at this point in time. He's not a guy that can come in and just like do the drop back passing game in the NFL. Like he just doesn't have the experience with that. And so I think the question is like, do they think they can get him? by waiting. I think this is why going back to what you're saying, like, are they going to trade back? Like there is a chance they could just trade back from nine and still try and get Willis depending on how far they probably wouldn't be able to trade back super far because I think he's going to be, you know, in play there in the teens potentially, if not before. So, um, but I think that that could be something that we see if they, if they're sitting there at nine and Willis is still on the board, they may trade back. Okay. Josh, the no table is vastly more interesting when panelists disagree and throw haymakers at one another via zoom. <laughs> You guys seem to agree on picket. Uh, push comes to shove. You both see six Carolina. So Pickett wouldn't be available anyway, even if they were to consider him at nine. But you disagree on Willis. One of you, and I can't remember, one of you's got Willis going early, and one of you's got Willis going later in the first round. Josh, what about Willis? Yeah, I think it depends on the week. You know, <laughs> some weeks I do have him going early, some weeks I don't. You know, as much as we talk about rankings and outliers, at the end of the day, I respect the organizations that make picks based on conviction. 
Um, I don't want a team that is listening to the draft media, quite honestly. I'd rather you make the picks that you feel confident in um, so that you can sleep at night with whatever decision you make and whatever outcome you ultimately have to deal with. But um, as far as this quarterback class is concerned, I mean, Malik Willis is obviously a very mobile quarterback. He's got a strong arm. He's you know a bit undersized, which means he has trouble seeing crossing patterns, stuff across the middle of the field. He holds onto the ball too long, and maybe that's a byproduct of the talent around him. So he's got some obvious deficiencies. But when you look at Seattle and what they've wanted their offense to be, there's been this disconnect between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Uh, Russell Wilson is obviously very, very self-confident. He, he believes that he can push the ball downfield, uh, whereas Pete Carroll has always wanted to have more of a ground-based game. So now that Russell Wilson is gone, you bring in a rookie quarterback who has less say in the offense. I mean, this is a guy that's going to have to come in and do what you ask of him to do. Uh, and maybe that's where this makes a good fit, because I think if you bring Malik Willis in, you ask him to hand the ball off more regularly, that's a system where he can, he can grow at his own pace and eventually have some success. Cause I think any of these quarterbacks are going to have difficulty having immediate success. Danny, there's a theory out here that the Seahawks would use number nine to grab their left tackle of the future. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be a popular one that's growing more and more out here in the Northwest as uh, the April draft rolls closer. How many of these guys, I don't know anything about them. I don't pretend to. How many of these guys are worthy of top nine status? You've got, I don't know, you pronounce it Equanu at North mm-hmm. Carolina State. You've got Evan Neal at Alabama. Consensus is those are the two top guys, and then there might be a drop-off to the third. I think that's exactly right. I think if Evan Neal is there from Alabama at number nine, I think that Seahawks would probably be a strong favorite to choose him right there. I mean, if you go back to the Seahawks in 2010, I believe when they, the first pick of the John Schneider P Carroll era was Russell Okung at left tackle, wasn't it? Yeah. And that kind of set the foundation for what they wanted to do, I think. And then obviously they took uh, Earl Thomas, Earl so Thomas. maybe safety yep. on the board there. I don't know. Yep. Get another safety in there to just completely go ham on that position. But yeah, I could see them taking, I could see them falling in love with Icky Aquani from North Carolina state because he's a mauler in the ground game. Evan Neal is a guy that can line up at multiple spots on the offensive line. And he's pretty, he's pretty polished. Like he would make a ton of sense for them. And the other guy that I like, but I don't think the Seahawks would like as much as uh, Charles cross from Mississippi state, who he's a really good pass protector, but he has less experience, less snaps um, run blocking. And I think there are some question marks about his run blocking. I think he's a pretty solid run blocker, but he just fact is he hasn't done it a ton. Cause he's playing in like an air raid offense. So, and you just mentioned Josh Edwards's pick. For the Seahawks at number, I think, Char- yeah. are we calling him Charles or are we calling him Charlie? I guess I, I should ask Chuck. him. He's a big man. He, he <laughs> wants to be called whatever he wants to be called. Um, you've got you've got Charlie Cross from Mississippi State, Danny, going later in the mm-hmm. first round. Josh, in your latest mock, maybe you'll change that as we get closer. You think the Seahawks might indeed take Cross at number nine? Yeah, and you know the reasoning for that pick is a little bit more grounded in a belief that they're probably the favorite for Baker Mayfield should he become more readily available, you know, more, more to their standards. Um, and that is because of the presence of Alonzo Highsmith. Um, he was obviously in Cleveland when, when uh, the Browns made the choice of Baker Mayfield. There are few supporters of Baker Mayfield as John Dorsey and Alonzo Highsmith. So given the need at the quarterback position, the relatively low cost that's probably going to take to acquire him, mm-hmm. I think they make a lot of sense as far as a landing spot for Baker Mayfield. So 
you have your quarterback at that point. That opens the door for you to go a number of different directions. And you look at this offensive line, you look what Baker has had in Cleveland. You need to upgrade that unit. I mean, that's a guy, that's why Cleveland moved on from him is because he's not so much a player that is going to uplift the town around him. He's more of a product of the mm-hmm. talent that, you know, is surrounding him. So I think you have to upgrade your offensive line. And Charles Cross is a guy that, you know, is still very young. He's got a lot of room for growth. He's great in pass protection. Uh, he's probably better as, as Danny alluded to in, in uh, run blocking than he's given credit for. So uh, I a guy that I value very highly, I actually have uh, Charles Cross ahead of Aquanu at this point uh, behind Evan Neal. So I value him at, in the top 10 and, okay. you know, maybe Seattle is, is in line with that. Danny, I was surprised when I saw the ringer and you select Kayvon Thibodeau uh, of Oregon at number nine for the Seahawks. And I only say that because, for the last year, everything that I've read, everybody's pounding into my head that Thibodeau is going to be a top one, two, three, four, right, a top right. five. To see him available at number nine tells me what? Does it tell me that he didn't have a good year last year? Does it tell me that some of the other guys have just – he's still a great player, but there's other guys that are more touted. Explain yeah. to me how Thibodeau all of a sudden is available at number nine. This is one of those things that happens every year, I feel like, with the NFL. And it's a, I believe it's more of a personality thing than it is a on-field product type of thing. There, there are rumors and whispers. And, and you know, I've heard this from, from different people that are connected in the league. Like, there's some teams that just don't like his personality. He's too interested in other things off the field. He, he's into, like, crypto. He's into his brand. He has deals with Nike. Teams want guys. And the other guy he's come to mostly, I think, in this class is Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Aiden Hutchinson is, like, embodies, like, football guy. He's, like, a meathead. I want, I'm playing football all the time. That's all I care about. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like teams want those guys that don't have any other interests. Um, generally speaking, obviously there's, it's unique situation for everybody, but there is sort of this thought that he could fall a little bit more than what people thought. And you know, the Thibodeau thing is he's a good player. He has some things to work on in terms of his past rushing inconsistency and stuff. I personally really like him. Like he's a, I think he's a very good player. If the Seahawks get him, I think that's a seal at number nine, but I think it is real that there's this potential he could fall a little bit further than what, than what people, I guess, believe based on the hype. You know, he's obviously the top recruit coming into college. You know, he's he's got that name power and all that because he yeah. was number one recruit in the country. He compared himself to uh, to Jadavian Clowney, who, again, was kind of like the top recruit in, in high school and top pick in the, in the draft and all that. But there are question marks about, like, whether he can be an elite pass rusher. I think he has a floor as a, an elite run defender, which is why the Seahawks will probably like him. But I think there is some question mark whether he is going to develop into like this elite level double digit sack type guy. So the questions are real. I personally really like to know, but um, I do think there's a chance he falls a bit. Before we get to um, kind of a big picture snapshot from both of you guys on the draft as a whole, I, I think I've kind of touched on it and you guys have touched on it. My critique over the years of John Schneider, he hates hearing it. I'll say it again. He hit a lot of home runs early, a lot of home runs early, and he deserves, he and Pete deserve a lot of credit for their early drafts. But I kind of, I kind of compare the last many years of drafting with John Schneider to a flop shot in golf. It's a low percentage, really cute, fun play that if it comes off, oh, and it drops next to the pin over the bunker next to the pin. You remember that for a long time when many of us should be one of us, many of us mid handicappers should just be knocking the thing on the green to putting and let's get to the next hole. I just feel like he gets too cute. 
Yeah. He drafts guys that all of us say, wow, wait a second. We had a second round or a third round on him, and we didn't expect him. That's a really good, that's an interesting, you know, all that. It's just too cute for me, Josh. You're smiling. Do I have some? <laughs> am I right? Who's right? Am I right on this or am I wrong on this? Well, I'm smiling because I would probably take the flop shot. I'm probably sending it into the rough, uh, quite honestly. But, you know, I think there's some truth to that. When you look at the picks that he's made on day two, like he's found very good values. You have Russell Wilson, obviously, uh, who was your franchise quarterback for, you know, a decade and has been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, DK Metcalf, a guy that a lot of teams just overthought. I mean, there's 31 teams in the NFL that uh, would have liked to have had him then and would still like to have him now. You know, and in the first round, I think as we started at the top of this conversation, you know, they were drafting for need because they always felt like they were in contention. So, um, you know, they were going out and trying to fill those holes through the draft, whereas you probably should go out, sign some adequate players in free agency. Doesn't have to be the $20 million a year type guys. They're going to be Pro Bowl caliber type guys but get adequate guys where it's not a glaring hole as you enter the draft, because then you become desperate and you start making the kind of picks that we've kind of been critical of them in recent years. Danny. Yeah. Mitch being fair or unfair to John Schneider. I th- you use the like exact wording that I would use. Like he just gets too cute. I think the Seahawks just get too cute when it, when, and when it comes to like the way that they're doing it, number one, trading back constantly, there is a cost to that. You're getting less like, well-rounded players, I guess, in terms of like, you're giving up some value there. Obviously you're getting more volume, which is, I think a good thing for sure. I'm saying, you know, picking a lot, picking volume, they always try to have like nine, 10 picks in every draft, whatever. That's good, but they get too cute. And then I also have had a bone to pick with like their, their, I guess, opinion on player and positional value over the last like five, six, seven years. Because like, if you go back over their first top picks in the last few years, you got like, a strong side defensive end in LJ Collier, like low pass rush upside. Like that's not a high value position. That's not a premium position running back with Rashad Penny. Uh, they picked a old small school receiver in D Eskridge. And I like D Eskridge, but I thought he was going to be more like a third or fourth rounder process wise. Like don't pick old small school receivers, dynasty fantasy football players know that. Like why does the GM <laughs> of a, a team not know that? Um, and so I think they see it as like, we know better then these like guardrails that are in place, like pick premium positions early in the draft, pass rusher, offensive tackle, you know, things like that corner or whatever. And they think we know better. I, I, you know, obviously look, they, as you said, they've hit on a lot of picks and they deserve credit for that. Um, but I totally agree with you that like, it's just, they just try to get too cute every year. It feels like every time they make a pick, I'm just like, yeah, like I could have told you, like, that's just bad process, guys. Okay. So that's just kind of how I feel. I'm very worried. Okay. They trade Russell Wilson that for all this draft capital. I'm like, they better put this to good use, you know? So that that's kind of my worry. Okay. Uh, a couple last things to end the, uh, the first ever. I don't think last ever. First ever NFL draft no table. Give me, Josh, we'll start with you. You get the strength, the best position overall in the draft. The deepest position in the draft. And Danny, you'll go second you get the worst or the worst position in the draft. Go ahead, Josh, you first. Yeah, so I would be um, inclined to mention edge rusher as, as, as a strength of this class because I like the guys that you can get in the top 100. Uh, but when you're talking about depth, I mean, it's got to be wide receiver. You can get guys that can contribute all the way you know, into the sixth, seventh round 
this year, Danny Gray from SMU is a guy that, you know, I really like his ability to, to make plays after the catch. He's got kind of a slight frame, but that's the type of guy that you can get late day three all the time. So when you're talking about this wide receiver class, you've got the familiar faces up top with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson. Everybody's familiar with those names, but there's a lot of very talented players into day two, whether that's possibly Christian Watson. There's certainly a possibility that he gets into the first round with how he tested in Indianapolis. George Pickens from Georgia, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, uh, Khalil Shakir from Boise State. I mean, there's just a ton of guys in this draft class. And honestly, I think that's kind of the trend that we're going to see for many years to come. Uh, as we see the running back position devalued, a lot of those guys are making business decisions in high school saying, you know, why am I going to play the running back position and go into the NFL where I may very only good. be playing four or five years yeah. uh, when I can go play a wide receiver and have a very long and fruitful career? Interesting. Danny, the worst position in the 2022 draft. Hey, how's this crop of punters? This year, Danny? <laughs> I think there's actually some good punters. There's like <laughs> mid-round punters. I might get a day two punter in this draft. Um, Is there a Reggie Roby available in this draft <laughs> uh, with a with a watch on his arm? Go ahead, Danny. So go ahead. I think that this is maybe just low-hanging fruit, but quarterback is the worst position worst. in this yeah, class, yeah. Um, I would say. And, you know, the, the further we get along in the draft process, the closer we get to the draft, the less enthused I am, I guess, about this, this overall class. I think there are guys that could end up being average starters or whatever, but the floor with every one of them is very low in my opinion. Mm. So I think Malik Willis is by far the most exciting to me. I think he has the most upside and, and depending on where he lands, like he could be a star, but all these guys have major, major flaws and, and, and okay. big red flags, both okay. analytically and just skill set wise. And I, so I think I would throw that one out and then I don't know to me, honestly, like outside the top three uh, tackles, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the tackle class. I think there's some, some solid players, but again, it's like the quarterback thing. There's some big question marks with a lot of these guys. There's a couple of small school guys, Trevor Penning and Bernard Raymond who get a lot of love, but I think they're, you know, again, it's, it's a process thing. It's like, these are small school guys haven't played elite competition. Both of them, I believe are older. And so you're, you're running into some big red flags okay. with, with some of these tackles. So I like the top three, but um, after that, I'm like a little less, less bullish on those guys. What you guys don't know is we never do a no table on Mitch unfiltered without a winner and a loser, okay? <laughs> There's got to be. Now, most of these things are not decided for many months to come, and we forget, but I don't forget. And so we're going to find a winner and a loser here. You guys get the, the rare opportunity to tell our listeners who's going to be the 2022 Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year before they're drafted. We record this. We stow it away, and then when both of you are wrong on all four of your choices, <laughs> we bring it back. When both of you are right on all four of your choices, we don't seem to be able to find the tape or the recording. We lose it by mistake. So, all right, let's start with Offensive Rookie of the Year, Josh. Offensive Rookie of the Year, without even knowing where he's going, who's it going to be? I will say... I'm going to say Chris Olave, and here is why. Stole I think my answer. You're allowed to agree. Okay. Go ahead. I'll, yeah. I'll do something different for fun, okay. but that was a good right. answer. I don't think we were going to uh, – either one of us was going to pick a quarterback. I just don't think it's that kind of a year. Uh, and my reasoning for picking Olave is not because I think he's going to go early, but because I think he's going to go a little later to a team <laughs> yep. that is actually yep. very talented and possibly a team like Kansas City or Green Bay – 
that needs his talents immensely and can be a high volume contributor. Sounds like my exact answer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with a different guy here. By Traylon the way, hold on, hold on a second, uh, Josh, without me looking at it, where did you have Alave going in your draft? You know what? I had him going to Green Bay because okay. I actually had them taking two wide receivers in the first round. Okay. All right. Oh, nice. I'm going to go with Traylon Burks from Arkansas, who is my top ranked receiver and I really like him, but there seems to be a lot of question marks around him lately. You know, I think he didn't run quite as fast as people were expecting, even though if you look at his size speed combination, it's actually pretty solid, but I think, I think he's the type of guy who I, he had like top 10, top 15 buzz about a month or a month or two ago. And now people think he's going to fall into the late half of the first round, if not early second. So I think he's going to land again. If he lands in Kansas city, if he lands in green Bay, um, one of these good teams that is just, you know, a receiver away from having that volume and things like that. I think that could be exactly what you need to okay. you know, get the stats. Cause you need stats to win this, this, this award. And so I think, you know, he could be a guy that just kind of lands and, and does his thing with okay. a good team. You don't need stats to win the defensive player of the year award or rookie of the year. I, I guess stat, you know, interceptions would be good. Sacks would be good. Or you could just be a really good defensive player. Danny, you got the uh, the chance to listen and go second. <laughs> you deferred on the coin yeah. toss. So you go first on who's going to be the 2022 NFL defensive rookie of the year. I mean, the easy answer here is Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Oh, so I guess I'll just take it. Boo! <laughs> That's the easy way. We all, Joe, Joe Schmo in, in Bellevue, Washington could have come up with that. Okay, let, uh, let's have more fun then. I'm going to okay. go with Jermaine Johnson. Oh, first no. Thing. Yes. Oh, let's go, let's, let's let him keep it. his first answer. <laughs> I'm giving you the opportunity to take Hutchinson, who's probably going to be the favorite all year long. Okay. I think Johnson is another guy that, you know, he could land in a good situation where he's on a good offensive line. He's probably going to go off somewhere in the top 10 or 13 or so. It's, it seems like right now he'll play a lot. He's got a really interesting skill set in terms of like, he's really good against run, really good against the pass. He could play three downs right away. And he's got this, he's got like the size speed, all that stuff. So I think he's a very interesting one who could rack up stats, both against the run, like tackles for a loss type deal and get on people's. And where do you have him going to the Vikings in round one at 12? All right, Josh defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, so I was going to say Johnson because um, <laughs> wow. I was trying to I was trying to avoid the low hanging fruit with Aiden yeah. Hutchinson. Yeah. But um, you know, traditionally when you look at defensive rookie of the year, you probably want to avoid uh, linebackers, cornerback safeties. It is you know statistical based, so those guys typically do not put up the kind of numbers that we see from uh, sack artists. What we've seen in recent years is that edge rushers with nine and a half sacks are typically the favorites to win the award. Aiden Hutchinson, I think, is going to have a lot of opportunities. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, I thought, you know, was kind of a sleeper for the reasons that, that Danny said. I think he's an easy contributor from day one because I don't think that the transition is going to be that difficult for him. So I will say Aiden Hutchinson to balance it out because <laughs> I think he's going to have an easy transition to the league. You guys are terrific. Uh, I love it. And, and worth every penny that I paid you. Danny, <laughs> Danny Kelly of the Ringer. Uh, follow his work. He's got a great preview out. I read it all the time. Thank you so much, Danny. And it's great to see, see you again. Danny, thanks very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Josh Edwards, our first time together. Josh of CBSSports.com. They've got a crew of guys over there and gals that are doing a fabulous job. Check out CBSSports.com and their continuing coverage of the NFL Draft. Josh, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. It was good to uh, break bread with you guys at the no table. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, J-Dub, John Waterstrat. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be back with you. John, the pandemic, 
the shipping challenges that come along between fireplaces and garage doors, which you do so well. The Seahawks, the Huskies. It's been a tough go recently, J-Dub. It has been a tough go, and I probably speak for some of those sports fans out there. It's been a rough year. <laughs> That's our stress reliever, I think, in the Northwest <laughs> to see those Seahawks do really well and my beloved UW Huskies. But, uh, hey, we're getting through. We're managing through. For me, the fireplace unit, the garage doors, one thing. You've got great ones. Your competitors have great ones. The difference to me is in the process and service, and I know because I'm a customer. People have no idea. Walk us through what happens after someone decides that they want a new fireplace and they call the Fireside Home Solutions team. Yeah, we just talked a little bit about the stress, right? Sports have been tough. Pandemic's been tough. And, and we really believe in this stress-free buying experience. And and again, you pick your product out. And what we want to do is just like what we do with you guys is we want to send somebody out there, an expert, to walk you through the process. Let's make sure everything is going to fit. Make sure you guys have your questions answered. Instead of having an installer there that doesn't quite know what to do, we don't have good expectations, and get that stress-free buying experience. And again, make sure that they can do their work and you can get what you want. We absolutely love our new patio and setup. What's the current time frame that the pandemic has thrown at you guys for garage doors? and fireplace units. Uh, we talked about this in the past. Please talk to your sales rep about what we have in stock. If you need something fast, we're going to have things in stock, both fireplaces and garage doors. Other products, if you're patient and you really want something, we have things that are taking four weeks, sometimes eight weeks, and you wouldn't believe this. We actually have some garage doors that are taking anywhere between oh. nine and 10 months. Wow. That's unbelievable. So patience is truly a virtue. As I said, we're a great customer. We love them. They're the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition and an awesome partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Time for a check-in with the CEO of our favorite steakhouse, Daniel's Broiler. Here's Lindsay Schwartz. Lindsay, how are you? How are the restaurants doing? It's got to be getting busier now. Mask mandates have been lifted. It feels normal again, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really starting to feel normal, Mitch. It's been great. We're getting busier every week. It's just so nice to see people smiling faces without the mask. Our team members have been wearing masks for two years now. So um, just so nice to see the smiles and happy faces and busy restaurants. We love it. You do a lot of special occasions. The Bourbon Bash on March 12th, how'd that come off? It was awesome. It was packed. It felt like the good old days. Everybody had a good time. Nice to see friendly faces who we see there year after year. And just an awesome way to kick off spring. I say on virtually every podcast, every episode, that there's no place that I'd rather go on a special occasion than one of your locations, one of the Daniels Broiler locations. Now, I'm not an Easter guy, but Easter Sunday is April 17th. What do you guys do? Yeah, it's a big day for us. It's one of the only Sundays where we open the restaurants early. We serve the dinner menu all day long. Bellevue and Lake Union locations will open up at noon, and Leschi will open at 11. It'll be a busy day, so people who want to go should make reservations. And the mixers are still selling well? And where do we get them, Lindsay? They're selling great. They're on Amazon. We've been on Amazon for, uh, man, a couple of years almost now. And uh, we've been in QFC for the last few months, and it's off to a really good start. And whose idea was that? Well, I'd like to take credit, but I got to give credit to my little brother, Danny. He's the uh, he's the family cocktail mixer guy, and he did a great job with these. Daniel's Broiler has been a great partner since back in the radio days and since the beginning of this Mitch Unfiltered. Please support him at Daniel's Broiler. They're a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. I know you've all had a 
chance over the last 24 hours to read a lot about Coach DeVore, his accomplishments. He's revitalized programs. Everywhere he's been, those programs have gotten better. So why Washington? Why Washington? This program's got a strong history and tradition, um, national championships, uh, and, and that's something, as you know, if you've kind of taken a look, uh, that's something I like to be a part of, okay? And it's uh, being the best, and uh, that's our goal. Interesting time of the year for sports. You've got March Madness. You've got the Masters. Baseball opening day finally upon us. NFL free agency in the draft, and you toss in a side dish. College football spring practice and games. Christian Capel covers the UW for The Athletic, of which I've been a subscriber, Christian, since the beginning. I'll have you know. How are you? Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're a podcast veteran, too? these days <laughs> uh I, i'd go with rookie definitely rookie i'm like i'm in i'm in podcast a ball just getting at bats in you know they're not even talking about me at podcast spring training yet what street corner did you find that co-host of yours <laughs> so, so i think he was he was walking his dog through central park and i said you know that guy that guy looks like he could maybe chat some ball um uh. It just kind of worked out that, you know, Danny was was looking for some different opportunities and, and was available. And, you know, obviously he's such a he's such a pro and I mean, brings such a, this combination of like really intelligent, high level analysis. But he knows how to have fun. He's followed the program forever. And um, I don't know, I guess it's up to to, to other folks to decide. But I, I think we have a pretty good dynamic. It's definitely been a lot of fun. Danny O'Neill and Christian Capel. And it's called. I don't understand this. The say who say pod. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, it may be a little bit esoteric, but it's, it's a play on the university of Washington has had a, a chant that they do among players since the 1970s. Oh. They say, say who say what, and then the rest of it is, is explicit, okay. but um, it's a, it's a, it's a play on that. All right. So Christian, what does the Kalen DeBoer environment feel like? Can you compare it to those before him? Lake Peterson, and maybe underscore the differences in the air out there, or is it too soon? Uh, I, I think it's more so what we've heard from from coaches and from players. And I mean, spring practice, you know, they've they've practiced twice. We've watched like a combined maybe hour and a half of it or so. I think it's it's probably closer to a Chris Peterson vibe just in terms of the things that they emphasize. You know, Kalen DeBoer is 47 years old. He's got seven years of head coaching experience, right? So he, you know, he only two years at Fresno State and had been a coordinator for a decade in between jobs. But, you know, he's he's been in that seat before, I think has a very distinct vision and knows what he's about and knows what he wants to get done. Um, he's got an offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, he's worked with forever, who he, he is in lockstep with. And so they're they're totally on the same page there. I think that they've they've corrected the vibes, so to speak. You know, I think when last season ended, so much was up in the air. And, you know, obviously there were there were some issues on the coaching staff and, and in the locker room and no one really knew what direction this thing was going to go. And, you know, if they go out on September 3rd and lose to Kent State, that that goes sideways in a hurry. Right. But uh, I think for as much as you can do between December and April, they've kept a lot of their key playmakers around. They, you know, they ask guys, Hey, give us a chance, just come through spring practice with us, see what we're about. And then, you know, make your decision from there. And I think they got, you know, most of the guys that they needed to stick around to do so. And, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see if, if they see what they need to see through this, this, um, these next 13 practices. Do you expect that there'll be a rash of guys entering the transfer portal after spring uh, practices? There'll definitely be a few, you know, I think the, the attrition that you kind of like to see, because I think it's mutually beneficial are the guys maybe toward the bottom of the depth chart who've been around a few years. So it's like, okay, first spring with a new staff, I'm still not getting a ton of reps. If I want to play my next, you know, my last one or two college seasons, I should probably look somewhere else. I think that there might be a few of those. I mean, there's always going to be a few of those. I, you know, I think at a high level, the guys who, when last season ended that, you know, if you ask fans, Hey, make a list of the guys who you, you least would like to see transfer. I, I don't think they're in danger of, of necessarily losing any of those guys. Um, but you know, it's, it's such a day-to-day thing. It's, it's so, you know, people talk about, oh, it's, there's free agency in college football. Now it's like, yeah, there's free agency and it's a daily proposition. It's free agency in the NFL, but there's a, there's a window and there's rules and there's regulations and everything. So um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a new era. You can never say for sure. Christian, when Kalen DeBoer was hired, the first two things that we always read about him in every story was the job he did with Jake Hayner, and the job that he did with Michael Penix at Indiana. Uh, It's kind of why he got the job, right? Or is that oversimplification? I think his offensive background absolutely was a big, I mean, I I think you, you go from four and eight and Jimmy Lake and the disaster that their offense was last year. And you sit down and say, okay, what does Washington most need in a coach? You need someone who's been in the chair. You need someone with head coaching experience. Ideally, you can't you can't take another gamble on someone who who doesn't know what that looks like. And I think they really needed someone with an offensive background, with some proven offensive history that people could look at and say, okay, this guy is going to come in and and put up points. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it it helps that people had this familiarity with Jake Hayner already. Um, I thought Jake Hayner got a just totally raw deal from the fan base coming out of here, you know, because he he's in this battle with Jacob Eason. He's the unheralded, you know, didn't have all the offers three-star guy and he's battling against the, the, the hometown five-star transfer come back. And everyone wanted Jacob Eason to be named the starter, like day one spring ball that year. And people were mad that it was even a competition. You know, the fact that it even took Chris Peterson until, you know, the last week of August or whatever to name a starter, people were furious. Yeah. And now Jake Hayner goes to Fresno state and throws for more than 4,000 yards. And the narrative shifts to, well, maybe they should have chose Jake Hayner instead of Jacob Eason. So I think the fact that this was someone who, who Husky fans were aware of and had basically cast aside and, you know, good riddance. And then he goes out and puts up the numbers. He does helps him score 40 points at UCLA. They're right there against Oregon. They're really good. And now the guy who got those numbers out of that guy is their head coach. I think that's intriguing to people. And in the end, how close do you think he got to coming back and following the coach back to the University of Washington? I think if if he'd gotten information that that his waiver request would have been approved, I think he would have come back. I think that would have, you know, he didn't enter the transfer portal, I don't think, to, to look around. Well, let, let's see what offers I get. You know, I think his head coach left. He very quickly thought, oh, man, I, you know, I got one year left. What do I do? I, I think he wanted to come back up here, but... He'd already transferred once and with the new time exception that only applies to guys who haven't haven't transferred before. So I think, you know, this this day and age, I'm not certain he wouldn't have got his waiver approved eventually. But that's a that's a really rough gamble to take when, you know, you're kind of out in the cold if that gets denied. So let's play the what if game, which is absolutely immaterial and doesn't matter, but it's fun to do anyway. 
Yeah. If Hayner comes, Penix doesn't, right? Hayner comes off of a 4,000-yard year. Penix comes off of a shaky last season where there's now an open competition. We'll get to that in a minute, whether there is or there isn't an open competition. They say that there is. Hayner comes as the starter. I mean, he's not coming here off of 4,000 yards to do anything less than start. Does Heward stay around if he doesn't feel like he even has the opportunity to compete for the job this coming season? I'm just having fun here, Christian. Yeah, I I think so. I I think Washington is in maybe a unique position in college football right now, but where assuming Michael Penix Jr. wins the job in and, you know, I know the hypotheticals about Hayner, but if, if they go through this and Penix wins the job, I would, I, most schools, you would think, oh, well, at least one of those other scholarship quarterbacks is, is gone. You know, that's just how it works. I think they, they're fairly confident saying they'd keep both Sam Heward and Dylan Morris in that instance. You've got two guys who are local and in Heward's case, he's a legacy who are all about Washington and that's where they want to be. And that's where they, they want to compete and battle. So I think even if you brought in Jake Hayner, it wouldn't have been presented to the players as this is our starter. It would have been presented to them as it's going to be a wide open competition. And, you know, I think, I think that would have been enough to get them to stick around. Now, are you going to not, you're not going to start the guy who threw for 4,000 yards for your Fresno state last year. You know, of course you are, but I, I I do think they would have kept all three of those guys. even if it You quoted in a recent story in the athletic Heward is saying, uh, that's all I can ask for an equal fair competition. That's what they're giving us. All right, the skeptic in me, you know, I'm a passionate skeptic. So the skeptic in me is, why would Michael Penix Jr. go anywhere for his final year if he wasn't sure he was going to play? I mean, he could have gone to Central Florida. I don't know what the schools were. You know the schools. But he came here. I'm assuming that DeBoer said something to him like, hey, it's your job to lose or it's your job. Otherwise... He's got one year left. He's not coming to University of Washington. No? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure he's he's very self-assured that he'll be the guy, and he should be. He's a fifth-year, you know, fifth-year guy with with three years of starting experience. From what we know that from what we know that the coaches, you know, from what the coaches have told us, they told each guy, supposedly it was, <laughs> it was the same. To say it was the same thing. Hey, it's got, you know, they told Dylan Morris and Sam Heward day one. We're bringing in a transfer. Don't know who it is yet. There's going to be one. You're going to have to compete. We're, you know, we're adding another guy. I would guess they told Mike Penix something roughly similar that like, Hey, we've got two guys here. One guy who started all last year, another guy who's very promising talent. You're going to have to beat them out for the job, but you're, you're kidding yourself. If you don't think that that experience with the board in 2019 gives him a huge advantage. He knows, he knows the verbiage. He knows the offense, you know, and he played in different, you know, played in a different offense the last two years, and I'm sure it's tweaked and it's changed and and all those sort of things. But um, yeah, I mean, look, Michael Penix Jr. isn't he's not circling the school where, oh yeah, great, I I'm I'm looking forward to going into a, a wide open competition where you right. know I totally I totally not. think that both these guys have a great chance, chance of beating me out. Right. You know, not going. Um, I think it's I think it's op- I think they're open to either of those guys showing them something that says they should be on the field. I don't think it's disingenuous or anything. Uh, I'd be very surprised if Michael Penix Jr. is not their starter. So you're picking him? I would right now, yeah. Sam Heward's super talented. I think Dylan Morris is a lot better than what we saw last year. And I do think those guys are going to get a chance to prove that they can pick up the system and that maybe they've got some some traits that are desirable enough to justify starting them over the fifth-year guy. Yeah. 
and maybe you make a decision there with an eye toward the future too. I don't know. But um, I, if you had to put any amount of money on it right now, I, I think the wise bet is on Mike Penix. Let me throw a couple of non-quarterback storylines at you. And I may be missing, if I'm missing any, and I'm sure I am, any big ones, please step in and say, Mitch, we got to talk about this. we got to talk about that. And not necessarily in any order. Quick hitters. The highly touted running back out of Texas that I've heard so much and read so much about. Is he going to be right out of the gate a star or does he have to wait his time? So it's, a, I assume you're talking about Emeka Megwa. I am. Um, it's interesting. They think they got seven running backs on scholarship right now. Four of them are for, from Texas. They've, they've went oh. to that state hard to, to stock that position. So he's out for the spring um, yeah, with, right. I, I think it's still the injury that he had in high school um, that he came here with last September. The, the biggest thing at running back, I think, is going to be who can who can catch the ball and prove they can be an asset in the passing game because they all that's it, it's a very different approach. I think like physically and, and in terms of the skills they're looking at, at that position, Jimmy Lake wanted big bruising guys who could run the ball between the tackles and we know that you know, pick up yards after contact. Run the it's damn not ball. like. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb don't want guys who can be bruising no. and break tackles, but, but they want guys who can get out in space, catch sure. the ball, make guys miss, win one-on-one -on -one matchups. So they went out and got Aaron Dumas from New Mexico in the transfer portal with someone that they they you know knew from recruiting the first time around. You know, right now he's one of their only healthy guys, so I think he's going to get a really long look. But I like Emeka Megwa. I think he's a great athlete. He was one of the guys I would have been really interested to watch this spring, but until he actually yeah. gets the pads on and practices, it's hard to say. Okay, offensive line quick hitters. Uh, center question mark, left guard question mark, Jackson Kirkland's eligibility. Hit those for us. I'd be really surprised if Jackson Kirkland does not get his waiver approved. He's enrolled. He's out there with them. Obviously, he's still recovering from surgery, so he couldn't practice anyway. But I'm expecting him to be available. Never quite know what the NCAA is going to do, but I'd be surprised if you don't see him back at, at left tackle. At center, Corey Luciano, um, who was a junior college transfer in the 2019 class, has kind of been a, a jack of all trades for them. He's even played some, some tight end in a pinch. Looks like he, he's a six-year senior. It looks like he's getting the first crack at, at center. Garen Hatchett, who was uh, he's from Ferndale, was a big part of that big 2020 O-line class everyone was, was really high on. Um, I think he's going to push him there some, too. Left guard right now, uh, Nate Kalepo uh, from, from Seattle, Rainier Beach. He's getting the, the first look. I'm curious to kind of see how that goes. That was a, a, a tough spot for them last year. You know, you had Alumu Ale, who's playing defensive tackle now. He started there in 2020. He got beat out by Julius Bulo, who's now playing left tackle with the twos. Those guys ended up kind of splitting reps last year. Nate Kalepo was right there. They couldn't quite get it figured out. So curious to kind of see who, who ends up maybe getting some looks there through spring too behind Kalepo. While we're on the topic of the offensive line, this this guy from Rainier Beach, the senior from Rainier Beach, Josh Connerly, no shot uh, anymore. No, I yeah would be no would shot. be very stunning if he were to commit to Washington. And how about you? And, and, and in your estimation, I've gone off on this. I don't know much about it, but I don't know why. I, I said on a recent podcast that when Paulo Boncaro decided to go from O'Day to Duke, where he had two parents that went to UW. His mom was a great women's basketball player. For some reason, that doesn't affect me as much as the, a Rainier Beach offensive lineman. When I hear Rain, and I don't know much about Connerly, but when I hear Rainier Beach offensive lineman, one of the best in the country, I think 
That's a guy that's got to go to the University of Washington. He just has to go to the University of Washington. Now, maybe you'll tell me if there wasn't coaching transition, if Peterson were still around, maybe it'd be a different story. But to watch that guy go to go to USC or Oregon, it's going to be painful. Very painful. Yeah, I think the onus is on the University of Washington to get the football program to the point where that guy can't justify going somewhere else, right? Um, I think every from everything we know about Josh Connerly, he is, I think, a big Seattle guy. You know, he's he's been very loyal to his his high school and he's all about his hometown. But they I just don't think they gave him enough reason to to justify it. They went four and eight. Their their offensive line played the way that it did. The off and you know, I'm sure this new staff would say, well, but you know, things are gonna be different. You know, we've got a, a different plan, and I'm sure they've they've told him all about that. But you know, that it might be one where if he were a junior and if he had one year to watch, watch. this staff. And if yes. they actually, if they prove that, okay, they, they go from four and eight to eight and four or four and eight to nine and three. And okay. Yeah. Got they know it. what they're doing. They're getting that line out in space. Their schemes are really effective. They're protecting the passer. This is, you know, I feel good about this now. Then I, I think, you know, you'd have a shot at him, not a, a Apollo Bancaro instance where I, I don't see, I don't see how that guy stays home with the offers he had. I mean, shoot, he goes to Duke and plays in a final four and he's one of the best players in the country, you know, our, Hard to it's it's hard to compete with that as the hometown school, but right. I I think with Josh Connerly it was more an issue of um, just the timing of having a really bad season when he's making this decision. Um, where it, most other years, if the program is is at the level they think it should be, he probably is a guy that they they have a really good shot at keeping home. So let me throw you the ball before I ask my last question. One or two storylines coming up here in the spring practices that Husky fans would watch for. Yeah, I mean, I think linebacker is really interesting. Edifu Onyulafoshio is out for the spring and and part of the season, so it sounds like a pretty serious injury he had in, in winter conditioning, um, which means a guy like Carson Bruner is going to get a ton of reps. Uh, Cam Bright is a six-year transfer from Pittsburgh who oh, yeah, uh, people haven't yeah. haven't seen yet. Um, was a team captain. I think that was probably one of their their bigger pickups aside from, from Mike Penix Jr., so interested to kind of see how the reps get divided there and, and, you know, maybe a younger guy or, or shoot, they're not, they're not young anymore. They, they just haven't uh, seen the field a ton. Someone like Alfonso Tupatala who's running with the ones right now, or Daniel Hamuli, who was in that same class, maybe some of those guys step up a little bit. And then, you know, the secondary, you kind of came to take for granted under, under Jimmy Lake and throughout the Chris Peterson era. I mean, always it was great. just always great. They'd have two guys drafted and you just assume they'd still be good right. the next yeah. year. And they always were. Yes, they were. So, you know, do they still have those guys? You know, Michelle, Michelle Powell is a, a former walk-on from O'Day who earned a scholarship. Everybody's really, it was, it was, it was actually kind of humorous at, at pro day you always ask the guys, Hey, who's, you know, who's one or two guys still on the roster to watch for. And like every guy defensively was like Mish Powell, Mish Powell, really? Mish Powell. So really? yeah. his team has got the respect of his teammates, hardworking guy. I think the, the assumption is he'll lock down one of the, the, the corner spots. They did go get a six year transfer there, Jordan Perryman from UC Davis. So maybe they, they add some, some veteran presence to the mix. They've got this new Husky position. That's basically their nickel, but uh, maybe a little bit more like linebacker, linebacker DB hybrid than before um, Dom Hampton, who's played corner, he's played safety. He's listed, I think six, three, two sixteen. Now he, he's a, I'm interested to kind of see whether he can take that, uh, that role over. There's a couple other guys he's going to be competing with too. So just a bunch of little things like that. I'm okay. interested to kind of see what it looks like at the end of spring. So let's end here in terms of talent, 
I understand that recruiting is always going to be a challenge at the beginning of a coaching change. So we get that. We give him a waiver on the first year. As the Pac-12 goes, what kind of cupboard did DeBoer acquire? Was it bare? I mean, in terms of all these, is it middle of the Pac-12 talent? Across the board, what would you say about Washington's personnel? I think it's a it's a very talented roster for a first year coach in the Pac-12 to be inheriting from a staff that got fired. I I, okay. I don't okay. I don't you know you think about a Pac-12 program that fired its coach. I don't know that you would expect the roster to to have as much talent as this one does, but it's it's all unproven. I mean, you look at like the O line should have been really good last year, and it wasn't, and kind of causes you to wonder, well, is it because this scheme was so broken? Did they not know how to like best, best use these guys, these guys skills or were all these big recruits that, that we everyone thought was really good coming in. Were they just, were they just not as good as we thought the new staff come? I mean, it's funny. Like last year, Jimmy Lake said before the year, we have the best offensive line in the PAC 12 bar none. And that comment got recirculated a lot as the season went along. Well, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator has come in and he said, Hey, I think they can be elite protecting the passer. And they're, they're as talented and there's as much depth at that in, in that group as there is anywhere on the roster. And so, I mean, even the, you know, this new staff has not been shy about saying like, yeah, we've got some guys at receiver, especially, I mean, that's, I think they looked at Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan in particular, and then Jalen Polk to a lesser extent, because he only played in a few games last year. But I think they've they've they look at those guys and are like, whoa, this is these Pretty are good. NFL guys. Pretty good. You know, uh, we're NFL? gonna be able to throw the ball. All right. I like the hat. Uh, Tacoma Rainiers. I like Two, it. Five, three. I, I like it better than the beard. <laughs> the beard is growing on me, though, kind of like it's growing on you. So uh I really appreciate you coming on finally. It's been great to visit with you. I, I urge everybody to read the athletic, subscribe to the athletic, and read Christian Capel's work. He does a great job on the University of Washington. And then again, of course, the Say Who, Say Pod with Danny O'Neill and Christian Capel. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Time for a visit from our mortgage slash football slash tournament expert, Jay Flo. Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland branch of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, Jay Flo? I'm doing well, Mitch. It's crazy. Diaper dandies. It's amazing. <laughs> Diaper dandies is right between the birth of Barrett and now the tournament. I can't imagine there's a lot of work getting done over there. Any time for refis or phone calls? Oh, there's time for <laughs> refis. There's time for diaper changes. There's time for basketball. It's amazing. I'm the head coach of my son's baseball team. There's oh. always time. Who does Barrett, who does young, how old is Barrett now? And who does Barrett have in his final four? You know, Barrett is five weeks old and he is a Duke fan. So Duke's winning it all for him. <laughs> Not for me though. Not for me. I have UCLA winning it all. And your daughter filled out a bracket? My daughter filled out a bracket. We called it Blakely's Bracket Busters and hers is busted already. She picked <laughs> San Diego State to win it all. She's five. <laughs> all right. Lots of volatility in the stock markets. What has that meant for interest rates and your side of the world? Yes. So rates have been continuing to climb here recently um, as the Fed tries to get out in front of inflation, hopefully, and curb the long-term yield curve. So 
Uh, right now we're seeing rates go up mid to upper threes on certain products and low fours. So overall still great time to look at buying a home, especially in this market. And also great time to still be looking at uh, refinances, both cash out, consolidating debt, and there's still people dropping interest rates or getting out of say FHA and uh, conventional loans. So still lots of loans to be had out there. Let's say I'm buying a new house, Jordan, for a million bucks. I've got a great credit history. I'm looking at a 30 year fixed. What am I doing? Putting 20% down, 200 grand down. And what's my, what's my monthly number through you guys? Yeah, pretty standard 20% down for a jumbo loan. Um, you're looking in the upper threes, we call it three, seven, five, give or take right now. We have five and 10% down options with no mortgage insurance on jumbo products too. So I would say the number you'd be looking at is somewhere around that three, seven, five range. Beautiful. And how do I call you? in between diaper changes and NCAA tournament games? Absolutely. You can reach me on the cell phone, 425-890-2957. We love J-Flow. He's a dad for the fourth time, ladies and gentlemen. Cross-country mortgage, Kirkland office, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. People think of the NBA now as one of the biggest sports leagues in the world. But in 1979, the NBA was bottom of the barrel. Winning time picks up where Dr. Jerry Buss is buying a team in a league that some people aren't even sure is going to continue. Welcome to sunny Los Angeles. Great for cans, shit for fans. Our next guest on this episode 185 plays the role of Larry Bird in the current HBO series Winning Time. The rise of the Lakers dynasty. Actor, writer, director, Sean Patrick Small joins the fray here on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Congratulations. So what's been the reaction so far? People seem to be enjoying it. HBO, obviously, is betting on more than just guys like me. They want the non-sports fans, the younger generation. Are they getting it? I think they are, yeah. The the reaction that I've been getting around my... Uh my circle and crew is the basketball fans love it. And then the non-basketball fans are like, I didn't even know that this was going on back then. It's so educational and entertaining at the same time. So uh, I think both non-basketball fans and basketball fans will love it. A young man from Los Altos, California, 6'4", played high school basketball for the Eagles. Is that right? The Eagles? That is, that is correct. What number did you wear? Uh, I wore 33. Why? <laughs> because of Larry Bird. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really, I grew up knowing about his greatness, but not really getting to see it, mm -hmm. obviously, live. Um, I was born in 1992, so that was obviously the end of his career. But like through watching YouTube clips and just knowing about his, the legend that he was, I was like, I gotta, I gotta wear 33. And people told me I kind of looked like him, so... That helped in picking out the number. See, I think a California kid looking up to the former Celtics great Larry legend, that's kind of grounds for arrest. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> that's not a Yeah, I mean I was a big I was a big Warrior fan and you know, okay. that those were the, the hard the hard days of being a Warrior fan when they were in the cellar. So Okay. Um there wasn't really much to look up to in California other than the Lakers, but being a Warrior fan I was a little you know, uh, I can't really root for them. So let's just go with the basketball great. So was a 6'4", Sean Patrick Small in high school dreaming of winning championships or Academy Awards? Back then, it was 
about the basketball, but then also our team was pretty small. So uh, me being six, four, I was one of the taller guys on the team. So I was playing in the post. I was shooting threes. I was kind of like a stretch four or five. So I knew, I knew I wouldn't really be making it far in terms of professional basketball. Um, and I kind of, I fell in love with acting my junior year. I just randomly took acting one class at high school, Mrs. Moran, our acting teacher. She just, she helped me fall in love with the craft. And I don't think I was really dreaming about either of those at that, at that point. Cause I was like, Oh, acting, this is fun, but I don't know if it could lead to a career. And I didn't really realize that until college when I acted in my first like short film and then worked behind the camera. And I was like, yeah, I got to be in this film mm, industry. Mm. You talk about how it wasn't difficult for you to take on Bird's appearance because you have that similar look. And I've seen the pictures and the video. It's incredible how they made you look just like him. But what about his personality, Sean? To call him cocky on the floor would be a dramatic understatement. He's also kind of described <laughs> as a he's described as a jokester. But I always heard that he was prickly, surly, and somewhat unapproachable. What about all those things? Yeah, I kind of, I really enjoyed looking into his emotional depth with that because I just got to play his competitive edge right. like 20-fold because, I mean, I was competitive on the floor, but my trash talk was more of a, <laughs> you know, I would make a three in your face and then I'd just give you a look instead of like telling you why telling you the reason why I'm better than you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but with the bird character, it was really finding the, trying to find the humanity in that prickliness and that surliness and why he was that way. And it was kind of just because basketball was everything to him. He could, he could really care less about anything else in his life other than, you know, drinking beer with his friends on the weekends and then playing basketball. So kind of finding that, that backbone to him was really fun in the process. And the way it came to be, the role came to be, you've talked about this a lot. It's very interesting. You were knee deep in writing a screenplay based on Seth Davis's book about the 79 NCAA championship game. And then what the actor that was originally cast as bird dropped out and it fell into your lap. Yeah. So I had been kind of writing and researching the script since 2014 based off of that Seth Davis book. And we had been pitching it. We got, you know, a director attached to it. And then I heard of Bo Burnham getting cast in March for this project. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that they were going to be casting a Larry Bird at this point. And that kind of bummed me out a little bit. But I was like, oh, maybe that'll, you know, get my show up and running. Right. And then all of a sudden in June, a casting notice came out for the Larry Bird character. And I reached out to my manager and we got me a, like we got a self-tape audition and then it was just a week of callbacks and then getting the role the following week. And then two weeks after I was on set, it was just like a whirlwind of like, Oh, they're in production right now. And they really need a Larry bird. And I happened to fill that need like very easily for them. So I'm happy to have done that. <laughs> and this is the, and this is your big break, right? You're a young guy, writer, actor. This is, this is the, the, the table turner for you. Yeah, uh, this is definitely something to build momentum off of and hopefully for seasons to come to just kind of play and explore Larry Bird even more so. So it's definitely when I stepped on set for the first time, it was just surreal thinking, right. oh, this is not just another acting gig. This is an HBO, Adam McKay produce, like 
TV series that's going to be wildly big. Right, right. John C. Riley, Sally Field, Jason Siegel, Adrian Brody. I, I don't know how many of these people were on the set with you, but what a head turner. Yeah, seeing that cast and kind of being incorporated in that fold was awesome. But also seeing, I mean, it's cool to see how HBO and the producers and writers really trusted in a lot of newcomers at the same time, like myself and Quincy, who's playing Magic, and Solomon, who's playing Kareem. It was it was a really fun environment to be in because the energy was so palpable from all the newcomers and the vets who are like, you know, when the vets are excited about a show, you know it's going to be big because they've been in the industry for so long and they've seen good writing. And then this was just like everything kind of came together to create such a amazing product. So that's great. It's been really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Were Magic, Kareem, Jenny Buss, were those people on board with the project or did they have no involvement? Any reaction from those people as it airs? Um, they were not involved because I believe the writers and producers didn't want to, you know, be tied down to any one way. And they, they were great about portraying all different sides of these characters, which is amazing. And, you know, they always say it's a love letter to LA and I don't know if they've watched it. I'm assuming they have, but you know, you never know with this type of stuff. You ever think you'll get a shot with bird in the same room to get his reaction or no? I hope so. That would be uh that would definitely be something that I would want. Either, you know, the good, the bad or the ugly. I don't really care as long as as long as I'm one day get that. That would be that would what, be pretty cool. Well, what do you th- what sure. do you what do you think? What do you think he'll say? I think the best thing I could get from him uh would be like you didn't do bad. You know. <laughs> It would be like a it would be like a negative positive. Yeah. I, I would and I would be a hundred percent I would be so ecstatic <laughs> if that was what he said. <laughs> All right. So you played hoops through high school. You loved Larry Bird or you looked up to Larry Bird, but as we all know, anybody who remembers him, he had a different way about him on the court. That jump shot, the movement, it was all unorthodox. How did you train? Mm-hmm. You, you, t- you talked about the YouTube videos. Did you have an instructor? Did you have a coach? How'd you train? Because I know there's a lot of a, a lot of on-court footage. How did you train to try to mimic yeah. his style, Sean? Yeah, so um, obviously I'd played basketball my whole life, but like you said, his style of play, his shot was very unorthodox. And just learning how to play like I was in the 80s. Because, you know, if you dribbled like you do today in modern basketball, every, every dribble would be called a carry at some point. Um, so w- they had a basketball trainer, Edon Ravine, who has trained people like Steph Curry and LeBron James and all these different all-stars. And his, his goal for me was to take my game and make me a silhouette of bird. So we had just like, we would be hard pressed like one-on-one training every day or with a couple of other castmates and just perfecting the shot and like practicing dialogue as you know, you're performing on the basketball court. So you're incorporating that acting and the physicality without even thinking it was definitely a process, but it was like, I had the time of my life doing it. I kept telling my friends, this is the closest I'll be to a professional basketball player because I'm getting paid to play basketball. So (laughs) there you go. A lot of us tried. A lot lot of us wanted to, a lot of us dreamed about it, but you got a, you got a chance to be paid to play to play basketball. My co-host tells me exactly. that Solomon Hughes, the actor playing Kareem, you just mentioned him, 
that he's amazing, mm-hmm. and this is his debut. Tell me about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's incredible. It, it's it was kind of a small world meeting of him on set because his daughter is actually going to the same junior high that I went to at oh. Egan Middle School. Oh. He helps coach their eighth grade basketball team with my old JV coach from Los Altos, Bob McFarland. So it's it was kind of this like pure happenstance of meeting him and him being like, oh, like, you know, all these different connections. And he's just such a great guy on set. And it's really fun to watch him as Kareem because it's like the complete opposite of who he is as a human being. <laughs> well, as we, as He's very open and Kareem is very surly in this, yeah. in this series. Yeah. The, the bird magic relationship is interesting. I'm not sure it's all that complicated or complex, but it's certainly interesting. Bitter rivals for decades going back to that 79 championship game, NCAA championship game, that really changed mm-hmm. changed college basketball. But they always had great respect for one another, maybe unlike Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan and some of the spats. And I think that that great respect on the floor while they were rivals kind of helped transition their relationship as- after basketball. It's been described by everybody as a very warm relationship now. W- what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think... It was one of those rivalries where they amplified each other's game. Like, I don't think Magic or Bird would be the legend they are today without the other. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, a, I, I think it was McEnroe and Jimmy Connors who talked about that, where it's like, once the other one left the game, it became pretty hard to even play against everyone else. Um, so that respect, like, you know, they would check the newspaper columns and they would check what the stats were for from each other's games across the, you know, from coast to coast. And I think that type of rivalry makes it easier for, you know, when that Converse commercial film, right. uh, they filmed that in French Lick. And I think it was 87. That's kind of when their friendship started to develop. There, There wasn't any hatred towards one or the other. It was just pure competitiveness well it's a terrific series it's called winning time the rise of the lakers dynasty you can catch it on hbo it's in the midst it's being released he's actor writer director sean patrick small his big break as larry bird in the uh, in the series on hbo great to visit with you i'm really happy for you and your newfound success i, I wish you all the best and i'll look for your project am i going to be able to see your project someday soon or not uh, we're hoping we're still pitching <laughs> and, uh, I'll, I'll let you know if that gets picked up anytime soon. I'd love to have you back. Thank you very much, Sean. Great to visit with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, it's time for some humble pie. Normally Katie Versio, senior financial planner, evergreen golf call is back with us. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I'm ready to go better than one for three. What's the theme this week? So the theme today, it's a March market update. I'm sure you've seen there's been a lot of volatility in the market. I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, The Evergreen Exchange. So that's a bi-weekly podcast that we put out that discusses investing, the economy, and financial planning topics. So for those of your listeners that are interested in listening to that podcast, you can find The Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen. Very good. I love The Evergreen Exchange, which means I'm going to do very well this week. Question number one, I'm ready. So inflation numbers for February were recently announced, the highest rate of inflation since 1982. What was that percentage? Was it 6%, 7%, 8%, or 9%? Oh, I think it's 7 or 8. I'll go 7%. I'll go B. 
That was actually 8%. So 7.9%. You were close. You're in the ballpark there. Down. Yeah, so that's the highest number, almost 40 years. It's driven so much by commodity prices, the price of oil. We're all seeing that at the pump. So it's been gradually increasing for the last year or so. And and these numbers are quite staggering. I'm 0 for 1. Question number 2 with Katie Versio. Many market indexes like the NASDAQ, as well as some European and Asian stocks, are now in what's considered a bear market. So how much does the market have to be down for it to be considered a bear market? Is it down 15, 20, or 25%? I'll say 15%, Katie. Actually, 20%. So the NASDAQ is down about 20% now. And within that, about half of the names in that index are down about 50% from their one-year highs. So there's been a huge pullback in that area. A lot of different companies are down. So it's been a, it's been a really volatile year. I'm 0 for 2. I got one last shot, but I'm feeling good about question three. What do you got? So during times of market volatility, I spend a lot of time coaching clients about the importance of staying invested and remembering to buy low and sell high. So there was a study done where if you if you invested $10,000 into the S&P 500 20 years ago, that you would have returned about 9.5% annually. However, if you sold out and missed the 10 best days in the market, your return would have substantially suffered. Let's say you did that, you missed the 10 best days. What would your return have been annually? 5%, 6%, or 7%? I'm going to say I'm staying with a 5%. That's right. Yes. You got that one. Yeah, so I think it's pretty staggering to see that if you would have just stayed invested, you would return about 9.5%. But if you missed the 20 best days of the year, you would have shrunk that return to 5%. So it really highlights the importance to stay invested and to stay with the strategy. And maybe even invest some more when it's down. Katie Versio. That's exactly right. We love Katie Versio. Evergreen Golf Call, the Evergreen Exchange, a bi-weekly podcast. Evergreen's been a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Episode 185, Hot Shot Scott. The other stuff segment, we've got Hot Shot. Mitch and Misty has made an yes, appearance. Yes, this here. is probably my Never first bath of the weekend, so it's <laughs> I'm happy she's in here. But North Carolina's been in the news, obviously, for basketball, but kind yes. of a sad thing. Hope Solo, U.S. Hope soccer Solo. legend, arrested in North Carolina for driving while intoxicated and resisting arrest. I, I thought she had fallen asleep behind the wheel with two twins in the back seat. And Yeah, cops say two children were in the car when she was busted. I'm not sure. You might be right if she was in a parking lot. I, I mean... Nonetheless, if you have the key in, you're, you I know. think they called it uh, abuse, like a parent, parental abuse or something. And it's just another in a long line of problems with those two, with yeah. her and her husband, Jeremy. You remember Jeremy Stevens? Of course. And Hope Solo. The two of them have just have not been able to to be able to get it together. And you just you hope that those kids are OK first. <sighs> and right. You wonder if they can just get the help that they need, the two the yeah. two adults, the two parents. It's just terrible. You're right. Terrible it news. was in a Walmart parking lot, and she was booked for impaired driving, resisting arrest, and misdemeanor child abuse. Yeah. Now, that sounds awful, and I'm yeah. sure she woke up sick to her stomach reading that, you know, what, what she's been accused of. Now, I don't know if you saw it. We should probably tell the other side, which is the attorney for Hope Solo. Oh, I don't know this side. On, on the advice of counsel, Hope can't speak about this situation, but she wants everyone to know that her kids are her life, that she was released immediately and is now at home with her family, that the story Just is more sympathetic than the initial charges suggest, and that she looks forward to the opportunity to defend these charges. But yeah, I was thinking about those oh, two. Oh, oh. And 
I think that would have been an awesome college relationship. It was probably a lot of fun, and that's probably where it should have ended. Well, he was in trouble at college, too. Right. He's been in trouble for a long time. Yeah, it wasn't. Didn't he drive into an old folks home at one point? And <sighs> yeah, I know. But I mean, it probably it, it was more than that. Too. I just I don't think they they needed to get married and they probably thought, well, we'll get married. We'll have kids and that'll change us. And I don't know that it has. So, yeah, I hope they get some help as well, because uh, you can't go on raising kids like this. Vegas has spoken about John Schneider and Pete Carroll's offseason maneuvering. For the Seattle Seahawks. Really? Yes. Vegas cares? Would you like to know what Vegas says about how well John and Pete have set themselves up for the 2022 season? Yes. Sure. Well, they did it. They spoke by way of over-unders on win totals. They're all out. Every team, you can bet over or under the win total that's up in Las Vegas, the 32 teams. It's a little risky at this point, right? Before the draft. And Before the draft. Yeah. If you want to go quickly and get some cash okay. down. Yeah. Uh, I'll have you know that the over-under in the 17-game season is six and a half. That's what I would have guessed. I swear to you, six and a half. I would have six guessed Six and that. a half. Vegas says six and a half wins. So you, you go get locked in at six and a half, and then they get Baker Mayfield, and now we're going to the Super Bowl. That goes down to four. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it would. Never mind. <laughs> By the way, you see the picture of Johnny Manziel on the beach? No. Oh, poor guy. He was a Heisman winner. What's wrong with him on the beach? Well, he just his arms looked real. Th- I know he was always thin, but yeah. he had kind of that that dad bod, and he just didn't uh, look like someone who had lifted a weight in five years. I don't think there's any comeback happening. Like he always says, there's going to be a comeback. You sure, that wasn't a picture of me on the beach. <laughs> it may as well have been. He could probably throw as hard as him too. He's out there with a football and his girlfriend. Hot anyway. shot. How sad is it? That the Seahawks are expected to win six and a half out of 17 games. Do I need to repeat? You don't seem to be moved by this. Well, because I know it's We've not- been sitting around rooting for a playoff team every year for the last 10 years. And now Vegas is saying six and a half wins is it next year. It's not September. If it were September, I would cry in my soup. But it's not. There's, there's some stuff. They're not going to go to the opener with this roster. It's just not going to happen. You wait till after of the draft. Of course not. But okay, well, I, th- I think it's going to get better. I'm th- sure it's going to get better. They're going to be at seven and a half before you can blink your eye. It's going to be awesome. Just to give you an idea of what six and a half is all about. <laughs> okay. The New York Jets are at five and a half. <laughs> okay. The Texans are at four and a half. The Lions and Panthers are at six. The Falcons are at five. So what Vegas is saying is, yeah, the Seahawks are about the same as the Detroit Lions yeah. and Carolina Panthers. Been a while. You know how every day it was like, what's Russell Wilson? Why is he trending? Mm-hmm. And finally he was traded. Yeah. Is Lockett the next one we should get? I feel like DK, or not Lockett, DK Metcalf is trending every day now. All the time. Yeah. The Jets are going after him. The Seahawks say he's not available, but for the right Chiefs. price. Every, every day there's something about DK. Is he going to get traded before the season starts? Well, they've got to, you got to understand this, the entire story about DK. He's got one year left on his contract, really is what it's all about. And the big news is, and I don't know that you and I have talked about it because it may have happened. Uh, maybe it did happen before you and I spoke on episode 184. But when Tyreek Hill did that deal in Miami after he was traded from Kansas City, Miami, yeah. and then turned around and did a four-year, $120 million deal, that's right, yeah. which made the new going rate for a wide receiver at $30 million a season. Right. With DK now at the end of his contract. 24. Younger than Tyreek Hill. Yep. Bigger than Tyreek Hill. He'll tell you faster than Tyreek Hill. I don't think I agree with that. He's definitely not quicker. All of a sudden, the Seahawks are having sticker shock on 
what DK Metcalf's extension is going to be. So now the question you have to ask yourself is, what do you do if you're the Seahawks? Here you are in a, I guess, a rebuilding mode. Yep. You've got Drew Locke as your quarter. Your next big quarterback is not here yet. Right. You've got a wide receiver, a commodity that's expiring after next year. Now, you can use the franchise tag, and then you have to pay him an exorbitant amount. It's one-year deal. You piss him off. You get all that's through right, it. Yeah. You can do all that. You can, can still control him after. But that's the situation you're in if you're the Seahawks. So do you give in and just give him $30 million a year over five? You give him $150 million over five years? Do yeah. you? Or do you move him to a team that would give him that now because they feel like the Dolphins, like, okay, we're a DK Metcalf away right. from bringing – you don't, you don't feel now, before you might have, but you don't feel now if you're the Seahawks that you're a DK Metcalf away from winning a world championship. Uh, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're a few so, more players there's away. There's a, so a lot going on there. Anyway. It doesn't feel like Seahawks are in pay enormous money mode, does no, it? No, but they've got a, <laughs> they've got a stud. Yeah, I know, that's right. Young. Yeah. Yeah. They've got Calvin Johnson. Who will probably play more than, what, nine years that Cal- <laughs> yeah. Calvin Johnson yeah. play? But, but who's throwing to him? I mean, it's like you pay him all that money for what? To go run his route while the guy's on his back or throwing over your head? I mean, it's yeah. glad I'm not John Schneider. It's a tough one. All right, Brooks Kepka. I have golf news. You ready you for do? this? You do? You have golf news. Did you see the video where he snatched the phone I from a guy? I have not seen the video, no. The guy was trying to talk to him after one of his rounds over the weekend, this past weekend, not the one we're currently in. The incident went down. It was after the uh, after he beat John Rahm at the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Tournament. In the video, you can see a fan put his phone near Kepka's face as he was carting around the course with his wife, and he asked him about Rom. Kepka, you can see ripping the phone from the guy and telling him, get it out of my face, man. Get it out of my face. Just flipped out on the guy. And then I guess, I don't know, Kepka's manager or something gave the guy his phone back. But what's what's with this Kepka guy? I feel like every month or so he's yeah. flipping out. Yeah. Is this him or is he going through a rough patch in his life? Uh, might be both. Okay. I, I don't know if he's going through a rough patch, but I know Jeez. that he's, he's surly. Has he always been surly? He was nice to Brett in a restaurant once. Oh, he was? Yeah. And you were one of 11 I, people that would recognize him in a kind, restaurant? Kind of nice. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Kind of nice. His girlfriend now, I think wife at the time, or girlfriend at the time now wife, took the picture of Brett and him. No, that's Yeah, nice. he's a little surly. Okay. Yeah, he's a little angry. He carries a chip on his shoulder. But he's good, think, right? Yeah, he's very good. Thinks yeah. that people are against him. Oh, okay. People out to get him. People trying to make him look bad. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 2022. I think he kind of likes that image, too. He likes the bad boy. Oh, he does. Yeah, I think he feeds to that a little bit. Okay, gotcha. Right. I got a couple things. Yeah. Um, Bobby Wagner's five-year, $50 million contract <clears throat> with the Los Angeles Rams that I believe is more like two years, $17 million, but... Why do you well, say my, that? Because I think it's a bunch of nonsense. I think the whole thing is a bunch of nonsense. Maybe it's come out and I'm I'm already been proven wrong. But as soon as I saw five years, fifty to sixty five million, I'm yeah. like, no effing way. Okay. First of all, do you know way? Do you know who Bobby Wagner's agent is? No. Bobby Wagner. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Okay. He represents himself. He walked out of Dallas because he wanted eleven million, and they said thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. He's at the stage of his career where a lot of teams thought, you know, he's still a good good player, not a great player. Yeah. Probably at this stage, maybe a six, seven, eight million dollar year. Wanted eleven million a year. Okay. And now is claiming to have signed with the Rams for five years, fifty million. Well, again, I could be way off. <laughs> yeah. Completely way off. But you know, uh, the NFL has a way of making deals look like 
something they're not. So you're saying the NFL would be behind this or the Rams would be? be what are you, I'm what are you just suggesting? saying the, I, I'm, I'm suggesting that the Rams may have done a deal okay. where they're going to cut him after the first two years. He's going to see 17 or 20 million. Okay. And, but but at the time of signing, right. it sounds good if you say it's a five-year, $50 million deal. Gotcha. Okay. I got an average salary year of 10 million a year. Just what I wanted from the Dallas <laughs> right. Cowboys. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. When it may be, okay, he's set to make 15 million in year four and 16 million in year five, which right. they have no ever intent of, and they cut him before then, and it's not guaranteed. If he never aged and just stayed this age. So I I just have a hard time believing that when we find out the details Oof. of his contract that it's going to be five. But the story is still the same. Maybe I've buried the lead. He's going to come and play the Seahawks a couple of times. Now we've got the Rams and Bobby oh Wagner. God. Oh, God. What was that What was that win total again? <laughs> I forgot Six about the Wagner thing. All right. I'm going under for sure. And now. then the other thing is you like former uh, Seattle sports legends, George Carl. What'd you think of George Carl when he was the coach of the Sonics? Like him, love him, hate him. What'd you think? Well, when he first got hired, I remember thinking, who? Yeah. Who the hell is this guy from Italy? He's coaching an Italian. Wasn't he coaching like an Italian league? Might've been a CBA coach too. Yeah, whatever. I was just like, what? Really? But I mean, we got used to 50 plus wins for a nice chunk of time right there. You just yes, you did. count on 52 or 55. Count, yep. I don't care if Bill Walton said that the defense was gimmicky. Yep. They would win 50-something games, and it was fun. You could count on 50 or 60 wins. You couldn't count on any kind of a championship, but, yep, you could count on the 50 or 60 wins. You count on a couple of first-round you know, knockouts in the playoffs You with could him. count on Nick Van Exel. Yes. Coming here and knocking you out of the Tacoma Dome in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, you could count on Matumbo knocking you out of the first round of the playoffs. But 27 seasons, 22 postseasons, yeah. sixth all-time in victories. Wow. He's going to the Hall of Fame with his buddy Bob Huggins and Manu Ginobili, who I never liked, and Swim Cash. Why did you not like Manu Ginobili? Of all the people not Just to never like. liked Manu Ginobili. His game or him personally? Floppy Flopperson. Oh, gotcha. Always, yeah. Yeah, but he could play. Yeah, he could, but I... Yeah. He could play. I didn't like those Spurs teams. I didn't like him. Yeah, see, I'm not a Duncan guy. He didn't, I didn't he, like Tony Parker. Yeah. I didn't like his wife. Yeah. <laughs> or his girlfriend, whoever she was from uh, Desperate Housewives. Eva Longoria? Yes, Eva Longoria. It's weirdly similar to the baseball player. Evan Longoria. Yeah, it was yeah. like at the same time. It was too yeah. confusing for me. So congratulations to George Carl, who... Another guy that I really never got along with. Um, George yeah, Carl. Give us an update. Is there any update on you and him coming on? Are you going on his show or no? I don't that think just, that's ever going to happen. This is not going to happen. No. I've asked him to. No. Okay. I, I, let's not go there. Really? Not going to happen. It's also not going to happen. That's all I wanted. No. To know. That's too bad. He invited me on. I invited. Uh, he invited me on. He wanted to come on. Yeah. He wanted to do a kind of home and home series. You sure? Yeah. 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 Not going to happen. I, I remember him not being sort of an a-hole around for some reason he had like these rabbit ears and he was always listening to KJR and becoming sensitive and Tepper's yelling die hard three you know about the getting knocked out in the third round and he wants to fight you know always something with him and he just had carte blanche to come into the studio and be an a-hole for whatever reason because I guess it was his boss was our boss correct it was his house too you and got it all correct I, I watched him walk along the little half wall and take all the carts and slide them onto the floor yep. and so yep. yeah he did was, all that stuff but I thought maybe he's a different guy now. He's well, matured. he is. He's, well, I don't know for sure, but I've been told, yes. You know, okay. he's gone through a lot. Oh, sure has. Yeah, throat cancer, oh, was it? Oh, my God. He has gone through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not pretending to know what kind of a dude he is now. Yep. I just remember him from the 80s here. Nine, not 80s, 90s. 90s, yeah. 90s. Um, And he's made the Hall of Fame, so oh, I wanted friend. to congratulate him on the show. What about Bob Huggins? I mean, you're a college basketball guy. Huggy. Not... Never liked him. 
Well, but okay, fine. That's another issue. But is he worthy of it? I mean, yeah, I, I think so. Again, another guy can't. He and Carl going into the Hall of Fame on the same ballot. Yeah. is perfect. It is okay. Kind because of the same. One guy's the pro version of the the other guy. Won a lot of games. Went to a lot of postseasons. Okay. Won absolutely zero championships. <laughs> right. Speaking of Van Exel, right? Didn't Van Exel play for? Bob Huggins? I think, well, was Huggins, he Cincinnati? Cincinnati? Yeah, I think he, yeah. Okay, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Bob Huggins. I think Huggins was the coach of Cincinnati. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I thought this was pretty cool. Um, we all know the St. Peter's story. Yeah. You know who they were coached by? Yeah. Shaheen Holloway. That's right. Who was a guard for Seton Hall back in the day in the Big East, was a really good guard. Not a great guard, but really good guard, was a top notch high school player. Okay. And so in the state of New Jersey, he's kind of legendary guy. And then he takes St. Peter's into the NCAA tournament into the, what do they go, oh, the Sweet 16, Elite Eight? Yeah. Make it the Elite Eight? They make it the Elite No, uh, Sweet, Sweet 16, 16 yeah. yeah. And now Seton Hall's coach leaves and goes to Maryland. So there's a natural head coaching vacancy at his alma mater. Sure. You know that he's left St. Peter's. Now he's become the new head coach of Seton Hall. But the cool thing here is, and you never see this, when he did his introductory press conference yeah. at Seton Hall and everybody was so excited, in the back two rows – all of his St. Peter's players were at the press conference. Oh. The guys that he left were in the press conference cheering him on oh. at Seton Hall. How do you how do you not love that? Yeah, that's that's touching. Yeah, I mean, you talk about love for a coach. That's right. He just got up and left, and you went with him yeah. to his press conference at the new school, sat in the press conference, and cheered from the back. Pretty awesome. That is really awesome. Pretty tells awesome. you what kind of guy he is. That tells you who you're getting. They're not gonna begrudge him for taking what's probably his dream college job, right? No. Over St. Peter's. I right. mean, come on. No. Wow. What a cool story. Yep. Rumor Willis. You know Rumor Willis? Her, her, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rumor Willis is uh, is the daughter or yes. son. It's of, the daughter of Bruce Willis and, and Demi Moore. Demi Moore. Well, she broke some sad news about her dad posting, we wanted to share that our he's beloved... He's retiring from... Yeah. Well, yeah, he's been experiencing some health issues and has recently been diagnosed with aphasia which is impacting his cognitive ability she says her dad stepped away from acting as a result so one of the good ones that i guess we potentially may never see act in a movie he's just always been in my life since moonlighting right i can't tell you that i've seen two movies of his yeah it's not true it's true die hard never saw it come on never saw it really never saw blind date <laughs> it's terrible no, I like may it. have it seen like, that. Yeah, Armageddon. Never saw it. Pulp Fiction. Never saw it. I don't think I saw it from beginning to end. Maybe. All right. Well, nonetheless, the guy's a heavyweight actor. I think I always Civil Shepherd and him in Moonlighting. I think I did. See Is it. that where he topped out his career? That was it. I, 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 never did anything good after Moonlighting. Well, did he do anything? Is this... <laughs> By the way, this was some unfortunate time for the Razzies. You know the Razzies? Yeah, that's the. They give yeah, out like the yeah, worst the movie worst of the movies, year. Yeah. yeah. So a few days later, Bruce's family announced he'd been diagnosed with this. And then on Thursday, Razzie co-founders Mo Murphy and John Wilson said, if someone's medical condition is a factor in their decision-making or their performance, we acknowledge this is not appropriate to give them a Razzie. So they took the award back that they just gave him. It's like, okay. They just gave him one? They gave him one. It's like, yeah, we want to take that back after hearing the news. But anyway, I love Bruce Willis and he will be absolutely missed for me. All right. You see Eric Church, the Eric Church story? My last one. It is. Go. I got more. Well, it was my last one. I was going to bridge it to uh, your RIPs or your sure, yeah. your headlines. I have a few. Eric Church canceled his April 2nd San Antonio show at the very last minute. I don't even know who Eric Church is. I'm not I think he's a I country know. star. I don't know who he is either. He's a singer. He's a country western singer, but I don't know who he is. Yeah, I don't either. 
At the very last minute, he was supposed to do a big show in San Antonio. <laughs> this is why you weren't a country star, because you would have done the same damn thing if Syracuse was playing. Damn straight. <laughs> I would have never scheduled the show in the first place just in case. That's right. Nothing in the spring. If there's anything in the spring, you're out. You're fired. We're, we're finished. April 2nd, San Antonio show, big show. He canceled at the last minute, not because he was sick, because he wanted to go to the Final Four to see his beloved North Carolina Tar Heels play. And God dang it, he was right the whole time. What a move, right? Everybody got pissed. Yeah, they What did. do you mean you're canceling the show to go to a basketball game? And so there was a big uproar. And as a result of it, he has announced that he will be going to the Whitewater Amphitheater in New Braunfels, Texas. Wait a second. There's a White River Amphitheater in Texas? Maybe I wrote, wrote it wrong. Okay, there may be. White River Amphitheater in New Braunfels, <laughs> All Texas, right. All right. September second, two thousand and twenty-two. Apparently, everybody who had tickets to the to the April second show they got their money back. Yeah, because he canceled, so they got their money back. But somehow, there's record of who those people are. Because this show, he's inviting all of them there for free. Yeah, pretty amazing move, right? It's a free show for those that did hold tickets, even though they were refunded to the April 2nd show in San Antonio. So September 2nd, 2022. So if it, if anybody in our audience, if you happen to have had tickets to the April 2nd San Antonio <laughs> Eric Church show, yeah. go on September 2nd to the 2022, 2022 to the Whitewater Amphitheater in New Braunfels, Texas. And I think if anybody's still pissed at him, I, I think he's done more than make good on this. So just leave the guy alone going forward, right? Has he? He refunded everyone their money and he's yes. given a free show. Leave him alone. On a date that might not be... Well, whatever. Make it work. He's giving you plenty of time, right? Should you really cancel a show because you want to take your your family to a ball game? What's the point of being rich and famous if you can't do whatever the hell you want? What's the point, right? <laughs> I would do it too. I'm sorry. If I'm going to go watch my All favorite right, I'm team... Out. I'm out. All right. Rest in, rest in peace to Estelle Harris. Really? Brilliantly played George Costanza's mom. Do you remember her? Passed away. Do I remember her? She passed away Saturday at her home in Palm Desert, California, just outside of Palm Springs. I did not know. Her son, Glenn, says she died from natural causes, adding it is with gr the greatest she remorse. great. Yeah, and sadness to announce that Estelle Harris has passed away this evening at 625. She was 93 years old, and she was also Mrs. Potato Head in the three most recent Toy Story movies. Who was Mr. Potato Head? Who played Mr. Potato Head in Toy Story? Who was the voice? You know the answer? He's passed away as well. So the Potato Head couple can reunite. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway. But I tell oh, you this. was it? Yeah, it was Rickles. Was it? That's right, yeah. By the way, somebody sent me a clip of Rickles and uh, roasting uh, Clint Eastwood from the audience. Oh, hilarious. I, 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 I've, <laughs> I've seen every second of him on YouTube. So, yes, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's all, and there's, there's one where he roasts uh, Scorsese. It's also hilarious. And he, he takes a shot at Julia Roberts, which is amazing because Julia's this huge star. Anyway, yeah, I saw it. All right, another rest in peace. Now, this isn't a, in a big name, but you'll definitely recognize the guy, Paul Herman. He passed away and on his 76th birthday, no less. So he he was well known for his role as Peter Beansy, who was a drug dealer turned pizza shop owner in The Sopranos. I, don't know, are you, I can't remember. He's Sopranos now. No, Richie Aprio tried to run him down. And if you're a Sopranos <laughs> fan, you'll know that. No cause of death has been disclosed since I've seen this. He was also in Goodfellas and The Irishman. So he was a pretty, pretty well-known character actor. Clearly Scorsese loved him and he will be missed. All right. I got Hold some... on. I got a trivia question for you about the last RIP. Okay. Estelle Harris. Harris. Yes. So here's your question. Estelle Harris was 
George Costanza's mother on Seinfeld. Yes. Who was the real life son? Who is the real life son of the actor who played her husband in the same comedy series? I'll repeat. Whoa. Estelle Harris played George Costanza's mother. Yeah. Who is the real life son of the actor yeah. who played George yeah. Costanza? Uh, Zoolander. Mother. You got it. Okay. Of course. Come on. I, I didn't watch it, but I've seen it. Was, was she the one that I was thinking they watched it? I thought I had you there. Uh, ben uh, Stiller. Yeah, Stiller. Yeah. Was she Jerry? the one that, that kept going off about how you should be served a piece of cake? With coffee. Was that her? And there was an episode I remember. One ah, of the, she talked like this. Yeah. Who doesn't serve cake with coffee? coffee? Yeah, it was like, she, she couldn't let it go. I mean, she was like outraged that she you're was. Not, the fact that you're not a Seinfeld guy. <laughs> I know. I just it, That it. might fly in the face of everything that you stand for. But it, like, it might be the most <laughs> shocking. It might be the biggest upset of your of your career that yeah. you're, that you're not a Seinfeld. But again, guy. it's not because I didn't like it. I just didn't, I didn't have cable. Like pick a show in the '90s. I just didn't watch TV. Friends, X Files. But by now, I didn't see any of it. I got news for you. They yeah. got 150 million every. He gets a Jerry gets 100 million every time they sign a, a new syndication deal. You could have seen every show 54 yeah. times by now. I can't contribute to him anymore. He's got too much money. I have to pass. All right, you yes. ready for some headlines? Yes. Volunteers picked up a record amount of trash from New Jersey's beaches last year. The previous record for picking up trash on the beaches of New Jersey was held by the guys on the Jersey Shore TV show. An Oregon I bar. I don't know what that is. Oh, they were just like these guys who went out to the bars every night and got drunk and brought oh, brought women home. Okay. So someone out there hopefully will get it. Okay. All right. An Oregon bar <laughs> who held its grand opening Friday is called the Sports Bra. She's going to be on next week. Oh, okay. Well, yes. It's dedicated Jenny. exclusively to women's sports, as you know. There's no men's sports allowed on the TVs there. It got a lot of publicity this week. It opened this weekend, yes, right. to a rousing crowd. At first, the idea made some uncomfortable, but now has all the city's full support. Revelers in a <laughs> Japanese city are preparing for the Kanamara Matsuri, an annual celebration also known as the Penis Festival. Really? Yeah, they have is it every year. Is that the joke? Well, Do I ring the bell now, or mean, is there still another line coming? Meanwhile, citizens in Ukraine were quoted as saying, can someone check on the war, please, while you're at the Penis Festival? An Ohio man is facing a theft charge after allegedly stealing $336 worth of sex toys from an adult novelty store, according to police. Cops recovered all but one of the toys, which they eventually found and decided, eh, you can keep that one. <laughs> and finally, a Chinese man in his 60s oh, has great. lived at the airport's Terminal 2 for 14 years because oh. he wants to smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol without his family bothering him. All of a sudden, me hiding in the bathroom with headphones and the iPad for an hour doesn't look too bad, does it, Megan? <laughs> this guy's been there 14 years, so his family will leave him the F alone. I don't know why that makes me uh, laugh. There's like, there's footage of him just eating, like eating his dinner in the airport. Just wants uh, to be left alone. Wants to smoke and drink without his family badgering him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we got. As uh, Tony Kornheiser says at the end of every part of the interruption, we'll try to do better the next time. <laughs> yes, we will. Episode 185. <laughs>